Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep Girls of Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who plan to do as much work as the New York Islanders next week, because we'll do one show on Sunday. I guess the Islanders plan Saturday, technically, but yeah, rough week for them, but anyways, we'll get to all that in just a sec. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, super excited for today's show. We're two weeks in to the fantasy season, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I'm really excited, Brian. We'll try our best to squeeze in as much content as we can into this one and a half hour blog. I guess people who are looking at their podcast feed will already know if we were able to actually meet that 90-minute threshold that we're trying to go for. Uh, Brian, what's up? It's the Fantasy Hockey Robot. Brian, come. Hey, Elon, we're not... I don't know. We're going to be way over that 90-minute threshold if that intro goes any longer. There's so much to talk about that happened in the last week of fantasy hockey. Of course, you've already heard about some of it on Short Shifts and hopefully on Stream Scheme, too. But now it's time for the weekly Sunday Keeping Carlson Mega Show. And we are pumped to be here tonight. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, either being here with us or listening after the fact. However you get the show, we're happy you're here with us, and I think we're going to have a fun one today. Brian, I tried my best to, like, we're going to walk around the league talking about some big things. I'm going to try to, like, have a connection and, like, some good segues as we go from team to team. So I guess people listening, you could like, let us know how we did with these segues. Some of them were a little bit of a reach, but I tried my best. Uh, before we get to everything, of course, let's mention that Keeping Carlson is so proudly presented by DopperHockey.com. It's your number one fantasy hockey website out there. We wouldn't even want to be presented by any other website, and that's the truth. It's amazing. They've got great articles by great writers all the time so you want to be up to date with the ramblings all the deep dives plus the tools over at frozen tools are amazing so they, they know what they're doing over there at dopperhockey.com and if you want to win your league you should uh, go check it out and so then people will know that you know what you're doing as well uh, okay so brian i guess let's get started and i want to go right to carolina where the hurricanes destroyed columbus yesterday for their fourth straight win to start the season that's right they're four and oh they're firing on all cylinders after what seemed to me like look at look at me what do i know okay to me it seemed like not a great offseason for the hurricanes like they gave away nadelka and Bean basically for nothing. They lost Hamilton to free agency. But, you know, all the returning top players on the team are crushing it. The ones who were there last year are back and better than ever, as are their big offseason signings of Tony D'Angelo and Freddie Anderson, both looking like shrewd moves for GM Waddell so far. D'Angelo has four power play assists in four games, so I guess these definitely replace at least the power play contributions that Hamilton was making. And Frederick Anderson has been absolutely phenomenal. He's started all four of the games, won them all, of course, 944 save percentage, only seven goals against. It's less than two goals against per game. It's crazy that he's doing so well after being so brutal last season for the Leafs and he's not the only goalie by the way having a big bounce back after like a rough season last year we've got guys like Bobrovsky and Holpe who are also seeing huge resurgences so far in this young season of course small sample size so we'll see how they all do but sticking with Freddie Anderson how much should we read into this amazing start for Anderson like let's say we were doing Schmore goalies board again right now two weeks into the season would he be like a tier two guy because I was worried that maybe he's gonna split time with Ranta it's kind of injury prone but now all of a sudden I look at it and it's like what was I thinking like Carolina's a top team he's crushing it he's their clear starter since he's played the first four games of the season. Uh, you know, like other guys who we had ranked ahead of him in Schmore Goisborg, like Robin Leonard, Darcy Kemper, even Vasilevsky and Hellebuck, not doing great at all. Anyone who has any of those guys would wish they just had Freddie Anderson. So how much are you believing in this amazing start by Anderson? 
I, you know, I don't think it's such a stretch to believe in what Freddie Anderson is doing. And I, I know that's hard to believe with what we'd most recently seen from Freddie Anderson. And maybe you don't think I'm coming off terribly sincere, but I, you know, I think we've talked a lot when we're talking about Freddie Anderson's uh, dips uh, last season and the one before. We knew he was struggling and mostly recovering from an injury, but this is a guy who was between 917 and 919 in his save percentage for over four years. That's crazy consistency for a goalie for Freddie Anderson to be in that two-point save percentage rate between 917 and 919 for four years. We don't see that. We see goalies going way up and goalies going way down so, so often. So good for Freddie for being in a solid place for so long. And yeah, he fell off for the last couple. Two years ago, though, it was just the couple months towards the end of the season that really did him in. And it's like, so, you know, it's not fair to just take a small chunk of the season, but it doesn't represent, his 909 um, would have been higher if it wasn't for being like an 880 over the last two months of the year. And then the following season, uh, which was just the last one, it was weird with COVID and he was still like fighting injuries. Um, and by the way, Anderson was actually okay at five on five last year, but not on the penalty kill, which is what really tanked his numbers. You know, Anderson has only once in his career performed below his expected Fenwick save percentage at five on five. So again, this is me saying, I don't find it such a stretch to believe, hey, Freddie Anderson is actually pretty good. Of course, we're also not going to go so far the other way, thinking that this four-game sample from Anderson is something to define him by for the rest of the year. But it's a reminder that, hey, Anderson's been a pretty good goalie through his career. And if he's moved past some of his hiccups, uh, namely injuries, then we could expect some solid stuff from him going forward. He's been really good so far this year at saving goals against, outperforming his expected save percentage. He's doing hard work. So we'll see if that continues And yeah, if we were re-ranking our goalies or whatever going into the season, I would have him higher. But I think the main reason I'd have Anderson higher is because we weren't sure how starts would be split with Auntie Ranta. Of course, we assumed Auntie Ranta would just be injured a lot. But if they were both healthy, I don't know. I think we were thinking it would be 60-40. But so far, it's been 100-0 for Anderson. So we'll see uh, how that split goes forward. But so far, Freddie Anderson has played all 240 minutes so far, which gives him a great starter status. I don't think his upside is as high as some of the guys we had in our top two tiers in small goalies board. But hey, if he can keep playing consistently for one of the best teams in the league and be getting uh, the lion's share of the starts, that's really exciting for Freddie Anderson. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. Like if let's say you have Anderson, is now the time to really go for a big fish? Like would you make a trade offer to like the Robin Leonard manager, the Darcy Camper manager, or maybe even the Connor Hellebuck manager? I say maybe even like maybe that could, would even get accepted. Like uh Hellebuck has a save percentage less than nine hundred this season. By the way, so does Vasilevsky, but obviously no one's gonna accept that. But like if you had Anderson, would you be going for say one of those three guys people were so high on going into the season? I think I would have no chance of getting those guys. Oh, I don't honest. think I think you're wrong. Like Robin Leonard oh, okay. one and three with a nine oh one save percentage. Darcy Camper two and two eight ninety four save percentage. Sure. Like obviously if you're depends who you're playing against. If you're playing against a bunch of Bryans who are always like it's too small a sample size, then yeah, th- that's for sure. But I think you're definitely wrong. I don't I mean I don't want to pull a Yahoo and be giving these like crazy trade recommendations <laughs> that no one would do. I really do think you might be able to pull a Leonard Camper or Hellebuck. Maybe not Hellebuck, but definitely a Leonard or Camper for Anderson. But you're saying then that you wouldn't even do it since obviously you're saying no one would be smart to accept it? 
So or like I, saying you would do it. Like you, you prefer no, those higher guys. I'm just thinking actually like the same way you are that, you know, I might not be in a league of brides and draft capital and sunk costs matter a lot to people, right? So uh, like they probably put a lot of stock into grabbing Hellebuck or Vasilevsky or Leonard, or you didn't mention uh, Vasilevsky, but one of the, one of these top guys right off, you know, right off the bat in their drafts. And I think they might be resistant to giving okay. them up. Okay, is this just like a way for you to like not answer the question? Like, I'm just curious. Like, who would you rather have right now? If let's say you have Leonard and you're offered Anderson or vice versa, who would you take? Um, I think I would still prefer to have Robin Leonard, but that's uh, I, I, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, it's crazy because you know if you're trying to sell high and buy low that's always fraught even in the best of times but if you're trying to do it with goalies it's just like three thousand mental backflips to try and figure out exactly where where i'm gonna land with it uh if i could trade my freddie anderson for robin laner yes i think i would just because laner has more upside but i think he'll also like it seems early returns show that he might also be a little more volatile. So, um, yeah, I don't know, Elon. I think I would just sit tight. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was, you and I are a little bit different. I think right now I would take uh, Anderson over Robin Leonard. We'll get to actually to Vegas in a little bit. Things are obviously not going well for them. Doesn't help that Pacioretty and Stone are injured. I think I'd also trade uh, Anderson for Kemper. Like, I'd prefer Anderson over Kemper as well, just because he hasn't had the best start. So who knows if Francois starts yeah, getting an opportunity. I, so, yeah, give me the goalie who's 4-0. Like, but maybe that's, like, too rash. I think it's it's I mean it's a big reaction to have four games into the season. Um, but I mean, as is evidenced by a trade you made that you actually made this week, which we'll get to in a little while, uh, I I see the value in you trying to get out from under, like you're mitigating risk, right? You're saying, uh, I'm afraid of how low this guy could go, like Laner or um or Hellebuck or whoever. And Kemper. feel like Freddie Anderson, Kemper, and Freddie Anderson is a steadier option or feels like a steadier option. So I'm just going to, you know, I might take away some of my upside, but I think I'm also taking away some of my downside in the process, which is a, a truly legitimate and reasonable move. Yeah. And of course, by the time we talk next week, Frederick Anderson could have like three stinkers, though. Yeah, so far, so exactly. Good. <laughs> All right. So then another player I definitely want to give their flowers to on the Canes is Andrei Sveshnikov, who's off to just such a scorching start himself. Sveshnikov's two assists in the 5-1 win over Columbus yesterday brought him to four goals and three assists in four games so far. And what may be even more impressive is that Svech is shooting at a torrid pace, 21 shots in those four games. It's over five shots a game. He's playing with Natchez and Trochik at even strength, also on the top power play, so obviously getting the great deployment. By the way, Ajo and Teravine are not far behind six points each for them, but Sveshnikov leading the way with those seven points in the four games. Brian, at the risk of, of throwing, like, maybe this is, like, too big of a layup question to you, but let's just do it. You know, we're starting the show. Uh, let's start easy, and then we'll ramp up from here. But uh, as what we're seeing from Sveshnikov this year for real, and what, what I mean by that is, like, last year he only had a 63-point pace. The year before he was much better, 74-point pace in 2019-20. But I'm wondering, are, should we be expecting Sveshnikov to, like, crush all those numbers and have a huge career high this year? Like, are we looking at, like, point per game or higher? Uh, like, do you think that this is the year that Sveshnikov cements himself? as next year being a potential first round pick in one year leagues yes i mean it depends on on how deep your first round is i guess if you're if you're just going into a redraft i don't know if svechnikov sneaks into the first round with his performance this year but he could sneak into the second for sure and 
undoubtedly the third. As we've said on the show, uh, anyone who was down on Svechnikov going into the season, you were reading too much into his numbers last year, uh, thinking, oh, 66-point pace, he took a step back. You're missing the forest for the trees with Svechnikov, if that's all you've been seeing. Uh, Svechnikov's accomplishments at age 19 were signs of huge things to come, and we said preseason that we expected Svechnikov to at least reach that 70-75 point range this year. It's too soon to say, like, you're getting super excited Elon, and that's great it's too soon for me to say that he's going to overshoot that 70 75 point range but i mean he is overshooting something fierce right now such so is 21 shots in four games twice as many shots per game as he was averaging last year and svechnikov is basically putting up power play level shooting numbers at five on five, you know, the way you can just fire away if you're a trigger man on the power play. That's what Svechnikov is doing at even strength. And they're not just some low quality floaters either. He's not just shooting from anywhere. These are high danger shots as shown in his expected goals and scoring chance numbers. So this is really exciting for Andrei Svechnikov and what he's been able to do this season. He's also shooting 20%, which is twice as much as his usual 10%. But if Svechnikov takes twice as many shots and regresses back to 10%, you know, then he's going to be doing exactly what he's doing right now. I guess my only curiosity is how Svechnikov is putting up so many shots and points with a full 60 seconds fewer at five on five per night. So I'm kind of curious to see where his ice time lands because I think, Elon, if you want him to be a point-per-game guy, we're going to need to see him get at least as much ice as he had last year. Having less ice is probably not a way to get all the way up there. But point-per-game definitely seems within reach now. Now I just want to see Svechnikov get up and grab it. Yeah, totally. Look, I think the thing to remember, of course, is he's only 21 years old. So it's like when you compare his numbers to last year and think like, oh, if he doesn't get as much ice time, maybe like he could just like still be getting better just as a player. Like this is the time in a player's career where they're still improving. I don't know, getting more adjusted to the league. Like he's looking like a superstar so far. But of course, four games in. uh, Yeah, I'm really excited to see how this season's going to progress for Svechnikov. If if he's just going to be like, yeah, 75 point guy like it was a couple years ago, obviously really valuable. Or if he's going to like take continue to take that step forward and just be like a real superstar in the league. So definitely someone to watch there in Carolina this whole team looking very good but of course there's a lot of teams that are starting good uh, off the air Brian we were talking about a bunch of teams that are still undefeated on the season we'll get to a bunch of them on this show uh, okay Brian so we were talking about Anderson and of course while he and his friends are cleaning up in Carolina things aren't going so well for his former teammates in Toronto who just got drubbed by the Crosby and Malkin and Latangless Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday somehow Toronto still couldn't manage to not lose 7-1 to to this depleted Penguin squad the Leafs fell to 2-3-1 on the season and no one is feeling the pain of the Leafs poor start harder than anyone who drafted Mitch Marner in the late first early second rounds of their drafts after his 100 point pace season last Last year, everyone who drafted Marner is looking at Svechnikov and going like, oh boy, I think I made a huge mistake here. I should have gone Svechnikov. Marner went pointless for the fifth game in a row on Saturday with his only point on the campaign being an apple in the season opener versus the Habs. He also only has six shots total in his last four games. He's basically given his managers nothing over this past match, right? No peripherals, no shots, no points. I'd imagine a big part of Marner not picking up a point in his last three games is that Austin Matthews hasn't picked up a point in his three games since he started his season last Monday. Matthews 
Matthews has taken 17 shots, though, in just three games. I'd imagine Marner would have gotten assist on the majority of those shots if they had gone in, but they didn't. So no assist for Marner, no goals for Matthews. So, Brian, I guess the question with both of these guys, Marner and Matthews, is simply, are they doing everything right and just having bad luck? Marner's giving Matthews, like, sweet feeds that he's just not burying for whatever reason? Or is there an actual reason for concern that perhaps Marner's ADP was, like, a bit too high and people would have been better off waiting for Svechnikov, who so far has been the much better option? Yeah, I was going to ask you after this discussion whether you would rather, uh, whether you project yourself to pick Svechnikov or Marner first next season. If it's me, I'm still thinking Marner goes ahead of Svechnikov, but you know me, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I like to think back to, you know, 14 days ago <laughs> where we had these guys ranked. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll probably give myself the season to get a bit more data before I decide who I'm going to draft first next year. But definitely so far, uh, not looking good, right? So, Brian, what do you think? It sounds like from what you're saying is you're not too concerned about what you're seeing from the Leafs this past week. So, I mean, with Austin Matthews, it's been a really rough year for a guy who entered the year carrying this newish reputation as a legit top three fantasy pick. Uh, thankfully, Matthews' numbers under the hood look good. So, uh, like the way they did last year. So I, I think things just aren't clicking for Matthews yet. Um, and there's definitely some trouble brewing in Toronto the way things are going, right? Because when you, when things don't click, you can't just wait for them to click. The pressure builds and builds and builds and builds. And you look ahead at their schedule. They've got Carolina next, revisiting uh, Freddie on fire Anderson. And then they've got Chicago, who are right now losing 4-1 to one to Detroit at home, uh, still struggling. They have yet to hold a lead this season. And then Detroit after Chicago. So those are three really interesting matchups because you've got Carolina, who like are a fellow cup contender. And if the Leafs lose to Carolina, then it's like, oh my gosh. They, they they need to beat Chicago or Detroit, right? But those teams are in their own little worlds where they seem like they need to win too. Anyway, uh, there is a chance that those are games that the Leafs can bounce back in. I'm not about to sell off Matthews or Marner at all. I did ask on Twitter uh, if anyone had been trying to buy low or, um, you know, had succeeded in buying low on Marner or wanted to sell him off. And uh, I saw, you know, I, we had a response from Et, uh, well, I guess I'll use their names because it's easy, Timo Hollenstein, who said they were offered Nylander, Ehlers, and a top two pick from Marner, Gurianov, and Valimaki, and said, I will not sell. Um, we also had someone ask, should I offer my Kopitar for Marner? It's like, yeah, I, th- I think you should offer your Kopitar for Marner. I think that's great. Someone else said they were offered Marner and Bergeron for Marshine and Landeskog uh, in a dynasty and they declined. Someone also said they got Marner for Jack Hughes in a keeper league. So uh, there are all these other calculations here for me. Uh, you know me, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to move very far off my draft day value uh, now that we're four or five games into the season. I'm definitely a little more concerned about Marner than Matthews after, you know, he disappeared in the postseason and now it really struggles. There's a lot of ugliness that comes with performing the way he has in Toronto or the way he hasn't in Toronto, especially with the backdrop of his contract negotiations. I saw James Myrtle over at The Athletic suggesting it may actually be time to move on from Marner and or Tavares if the Leafs can't get things figured out in the near future. And I don't consider James Myrtle to be like your casual Leafs alarmist type. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a weird time in Toronto and they need to come up with some results fast. And I think Matthews and Marner are going to provide those. Although I have seen some talk about separating the two and saying, Hey, put Marner on his own line 
and just let him try and figure out his business there so he can find his way back. I definitely still prefer Marner to Svechnikov. I guess the test would be, Elon, if I had Svechnikov, um, would you offer me Mitch Marner for him? I mean, it's really close, right? To me, like, right now, I think I'll probably just stick with Marner, like you're saying. Like, it's just too short of a time span. And, like, again, if Matthews buries a couple of these shots uh, over these past week and took 17 of them, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. But at the same time, uh, in a league like the Cacupful, at least the Keeping Carson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, there's, like, shots are worth a lot, and Marner doesn't take them. So he's going to need a lot of assists. Like, the reason why he was valuable last year, even though he didn't take that many shots, is because he had so, so many assists, enough to bring him to a 100-point pace. So he's going to have to get going soon. Uh, maybe Svechnikov is a safer pick just because he has a floor with his uh, shots, which give him like a good peripheral floor. Uh, but yeah, I guess I'd hold Marner, but it would, it would be tough. I, I got to tell you, part of me would just be thinking I'd rather just take Svechnikov at this point because he's taking over five shots per game. That's 2.5 a couple points per game, even if nothing goes in the net. And then plus, obviously, he's like over a point per game himself. So uh, Marner's going to have to really start picking up those assists soon. Maybe give it one more week if you can. And let's see what's happening. Obviously, all the things you're saying about are the lines going to be switched up. Doesn't sound like any of these sources were like the coach or management it's just like people on twitter giving their opinions so i don't know how much you could read into any of that so we'll have to wait and see obviously yeah this is gonna be a big week for the leafs uh, another disappointing leaf by the way that i want to ask you about is defenseman jake muzzin who was like super solid last year putting up a 42 point pace along with almost two shots per game great hits and blocks numbers you know a really great like third or fourth d in a multi-category league so far this season muzzin has been a total bust though uh only one assist and seven shots in his first six games so just barely over a shot per game basically no points the blocks are coming uh which is nice but only five hits also so that's down from his hits from last year muzzin is uh, still rostered in 54 percent of yahoo leagues ahead of guys who have been off to really good starts you know like shattenkirk dobson gosses even like forsling more at cider he's ahead he's ahead of cider still like i don't know i if i had muzzin and i saw all these other defensemen eventually getting scooped up or doing really well in my free agency wondering, why am i holding on to this jake muzzin like what's even his ceiling anyways and right now it doesn't seem like he's even gonna hit it he's not getting any power play time right like the Leafs have been going with other guys ahead of him even on the second power play unit so at this point do we consider Muzzin a snoozer and tell people they could probably drop him or is he kind of like a Marner where you expect everything to just settle back to what he was doing last year really soon I don't think I expect Muzzin to just jump back to what he was doing last year because I think last year was a bit uh, lucky for Muzzin. You know, I don't think there's much different happening in Muzzin's underlying numbers compared to last year. Just low on ice shooting percentage down at six and a half percent. That's probably the difference between him having one point and him having three or four points. When you consider that he's seen his teammates shoot 10% with him on the ice in previous years compared to the current six and a half percent his teammates are shooting now. Um, but as, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's hard to be holding Muzzin because he's often a pretty boring, if reliable player, but now he's even more boring and kind of unreliable. Um, I, I think I just would want to adjust your 40 plus point expectations, assuming that's what they are, to be closer to 35 points. And they could, he could still hit 40, but uh, that's just you know, I think over 40 would be asking too much for Jake Muzzin, especially like he's never had power play time or even if he has, he hasn't done anything with it. Just two power play points in his last 110 games played. So this has never been a key part of his production on the power play. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned his peripherals might have dipped and they have. Jake Muzzin is actually hitting at half the rate per 60 minutes that he has in the past. 
Curiously, at the same time, Muzzin is getting hit at 30% higher a rate as he has in the past. I'm not sure what to make of that. But of course, if Muzzin is no longer hitting and he's only a 35-40 point guy instead of a guy who is hitting in 40 to 45 points, that does make a probably pretty big big difference in whether you want him on your roster. Uh, He's tough to roster right now, and I don't know that a whole lot is going to change. Yeah, the Leafs play Monday, Wednesday to start next week, I believe. So at least you could hold Muzzin for two more games. But after that, if he still doesn't do anything, I think you're okay to probably drop him. I wouldn't want to be holding on him too long. You know, he's not a Marner, right? He's not even getting power play time. So even like you say, like a 35-point defenseman, it's hard to even do that with no power play points. If he has to do that all at even strength. So yeah, I'd be very nervous as a Muzzin manager and would probably be having him right on the right on the cusp of being dropped if he doesn't do something soon. Uh, by the way, yeah, in the chat here, Ancient K100 is saying like Riley's also struggling. So yeah, I mean, yeah, the Leafs are struggling. So let's let's give them another week and see how everyone does or at least another couple of games uh by the way also i'll just throw it out there since i didn't have a plan for the show agent uh k100 also asked if we should be concerned about panarin i wasn't planning on talking about the rangers today i'm just gonna say this uh ryan strome his centerman has been injured or has been on the covid protocol list right so he hasn't even playing with his normal guy also he has four points in six games it's not as if panarin has been terrible so all that to say like definitely not like don't be concerned about panarin don't let someone like swindle you in a trade panarin's amazing and you're not going to change my mind because of him only having like a 65 point pace and not the 90 point pace after six games while he hasn't had his normal line mates uh so anyway so we're on muzzin now let's go to muzzin's former team in la where muzzin's former defensive partner drew dowdy exited friday's game versus dallas after a knee-on-knee collision that looked pretty bad though apparently the news is it's not as bad as it may have looked so uh, as far as i've seen there's still no timeline for when he'll return but apparently it's not like going to be like a huge like you know fracture that's gonna be months and months but definitely for the short term dowdy's not going to be around which is a huge bummer for him and anyone who drafted him because he was off to like a Svechnikov-esque start to the season. Seven points in four games. So hopefully he'll be back soon. In the meantime, though, it looks like there's like two defensemen on LA who are going to get the bump in deployment and power play time. At least so far, we've seen Sean Walker and Matt Roy both getting a, a, the power play time kind of split pretty evenly. So far, nothing of note from Matt Roy, but Sean Walker is looking pretty appealing to me. He's put up assists in two straight games in Dowdy's absence and has taken nine shots over those last couple of games. So obviously he's enjoying the extra ice time and he's putting a lot of pucks on net who knows maybe if he keeps doing that a couple of them start going into the net and all of a sudden we've got a guy who's shooting you know he's already been good for peripherals uh if he adds shots and and goals and some assists to the docket all of a sudden this sean walker could be a pretty decent stream and potential hold for as long as dowdy is out i added him in a couple for saturday's game was happy with the result i'm gonna hold him for monday la plays on monday and then i'm gonna reassess the kings also play thursday saturday sunday next week so it's a four game week for the kings so if you need defense and you're in a multi-category league to me sean walker is pretty appealing brian do you think that these shots along with the huge opportunity with dowdy out is enough to make you recommend that people should be rushing out to grab him especially for his big slate next week or are we going to preach caution here and say hey this is sean walker don't go nuts we're gonna do the second especially because i mean the reports that i've seen about drew dowdy seem to be mostly of relief that drew dowdy isn't going to miss extended time and if he's not going to miss extended time it seems to me like there's not much of a middle ground with hits that look like this they're either actually okay even though it looked really scary or they're out for a really long time so i expect dowdy to be back before long unless i hear otherwise in the meantime if you want to try and get Uh, an LA Kings defenseman who might get a little more power play exposure. Sean Walker is the good, the safe bet, because as you mentioned, Elon Walker has been this good peripherals guy that we have recommended in the past when you need them. He kind of took the mantle on LA from Derek Forbert, who took the mantle from Jake Muzzin as being a big minute shot hit block D on LA, which is about as much value as you can get outside Doughty 
on their blue line. I wouldn't uh, let go of anybody of significant value, though, to add Sean Walker. Matt Roy is actually the guy I guessed would get a look without Doughty, but it's probably a toss-up. All three of those guys, Doughty, Walker, and Matt Roy, are all right-handed. So if you wanted to toss one on the top power play, they wouldn't have to change the configuration. they just have to copy what Drew Doughty does on it. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens, but I'm also not feeling like it's that crucial that I pick the right guy in a shallow enough league where, uh, yeah, I, I don't need to be reaching or I'd be dropping someone really good for Sean Walker or Matt Roy. Yeah, I mean, this would be for a streaming spot that then you hope turns into a hold. And for me, it's just we're looking at 18 shots in five games so far for this Sean Walker. And a lot of those shots came in games when Dowdy was there, even. And now with Dowdy out, he's seeing this increase yeah. ice time, which leads to more shots. I mean, he's just like, to me, you know me, Brian, I'm a sucker for shots. That's why I'm saying I might like Sveshnikov even yeah. over Marner, because I love the shots. Sometimes shots turn into goals, as we talked about on the patron cast last week. So uh, I don't know. To me, I think he's like a really good stream for next week if you need D. Yeah, I'm, and I won't argue with that at all, that Sean Walker Walker has been and will continue to be a decent stream for peripherals. I don't think Drew Doughty being out changes his worth at all, though. Oh, well, he'll get more power play time and more ice time. Like, he moved to the top pairing while Doughty's out. Yeah, but yeah, I, Doughty's, like, yeah. I don't think Doughty's going to be out long term. Like, I this is, yeah, okay. We're on the same page, yeah. All next right. week, you're in agreement with me that for next week, Sean Walker's good. But after that, maybe not. So don't drop someone really good for him. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, of course, another big downside to Dowdy being hurt is the Kings are likely going to be like a worse team. He's a very important part of this team. Cal Peterson got shelled for seven goals against versus the Blues on Saturday. I know we were telling people going into the season that this could be Cal's year to establish himself as a valuable fantasy goalie. So far, Jonathan Quick still gotten two of the five games. Uh, and Peterson now hasn't been that great, especially in this well, now that since Dowdy's been out. So do you think Peterson is like scarier now and people who drafted him should maybe be looking at other options? Or are you going to hold and still think this could be a good year for Cal Peterson? It's a little scary. I mean, Doughty plays like, what, 26 minutes a night? And now he's gone for those 26 minutes a night. So that's scary for Cal Peterson or Jonathan Quick, who's ever in the King's crease. They do have decent defensive depth, though. They, I'm hoping that they're a team that can just make a make an adjustment and be mostly okay. It's unlikely that Peterson and Quick don't feel it at all. But in the short term, like, yeah, it might take a couple games to adjust. But in the long term, I'm actually not changing my outlook on Peterson or Quick too much. Okay, yeah. I just feel like the Kings are so weird. It seems like this is the year Cal Peterson, give him, like, uh, the bulk of the starts because Quick's contract is going to be over. And Peterson, you just signed to, like, a $5 million per year deal starting next year. Still kind of seems like they're going to go 50-50. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. I don't think that I would have Peterson as high in Shmore Goalies board now as I did before just because I really thought that he would be getting, like, the Frederick Anderson treatment, right? Of getting, like, a bunch of the starts and maybe Quick only playing on back-to-back so far. Seems like they still like Quick a decent amount. And plus, yeah, with Dowdy out, it's obviously not great. All right. Brian, so we've still got like a ton to get to, but why don't we just take a little break now? We're half hour into the show and thank a couple sponsors of the podcast. Super excited about our sponsors. I like them both a lot. Okay, so let's start with our friends over at Underdog. Brian, Underdog, like I've gotten more and more into it over these past couple of weeks and it's so fun. Like last week we talked about it and how it's so fun that you could do these drafts every single time you play. So it's like you're betting on the games on a single night, but you get to draft against other people. So it's kind of like daily fantasy, except instead of just picking players, which is kind of like stressful and annoying, you have the budget. I don't know. Like for me, this is really fun. Just have a draft, which is what I feel like I'm good at. You could use all your value over replacement strategies when you're deciding whether to take a goalie first or a defense first. And then you see how you do. That's great. So that was what we talked about last week. Then all of a sudden you've been showing me this whole pick 
Pick'em's thing, which is also so fun. As you said, you have these random players where it's just like, okay, Connor McDavid, he's going to get plus or minus 1.5 points tonight. And you're just like, okay, I think McDavid's going to have a good game. You could like string a couple of those together. You put two or three, and then you get a multiplier if you get them all right. It's so fun, Brian. I really love Underdog. And I'm not just saying it because they're our sponsor. I've been really having a blast this week. It's been really fun. I mean, they tell us when we do the ad, they're like, uh, you know, say we're the easiest and most fun way to play fantasy hockey and uh i'm gonna say if you're playing dfs it is underdog like legit is the easiest and most fun way they have a lot of like nice little touches in their app especially in the underdog fantasy pick em game like you said elon all you do pick over or under on your favorite or your least favorite player stats and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night i think that's if you hit six uh, over-unders, but you can choose if you do three for, you know, a smaller multiplier or go up and up and up for a bigger multiplier. And Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. You can pick between two and five players and you can take home some cold, hard cash. And the best part is for our listeners, if you use the code KEEPING, you're going to get $10 in bonus cash when you sign up and make your first deposit. Uh, that's right, $10 bonus cash. All you need to do is sign up with the code KEEPING and make your first deposit of $10. You'll get $10 free. Uh, that's good for entering a daily draft or making a pick em slip of your own. So uh, if you're listening to this, then it's likely Pug Drop is coming up in some manner of hours. So what are you waiting for? Go to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, the Google Play Store, and sign up with the code KEEPING. That's underdogfantasy promo code KEEPING. And join us in playing this super fun game. We actually shared our pick slips, Elon on Twitter the other night. We've been sharing them in our Discord um, DFS channel uh, most nights, along with some other listeners and patrons who are in there. But I think we both we both won on the last one, which is great. No, I lost. Oh, you won. I won. I had okay. some like goalie. Oh, it was like Koskinen. I had him under 28 and a half saves. It's like my fourth option. And he was like going into the third with only 20 saves. So it seemed like not too bad of a bet. But then he ended up with like 30 something. Like Oilers just ended up letting in a lot of shots and Koskinen oh. stopped too many of them. So, but I know you Sad. won. So congratulations. Brian's getting rich here. Uh, okay. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> this is not a way to get rich, everybody. This is yeah, a way it's, it's to, for fun. to have fun and use uh, play with money you can afford to lose. Speaking of which, uh, responsiblegambling.org org is a really helpful site for coming up with some great strategies to use while you play so you don't get too swept away yeah of course okay speaking of sweeping things away i want to talk about our second sponsor for this episode which are our new friends over at manscaped brian i'm wearing my manscaped shirt that they sent me which comes in the box you get from them uh this is a really cool product okay so I guess this this ad is going to be more targeted to the male listeners of our podcast, so obviously anyone is uh, eligible to buy the products over at Manscaped, but they've got a lot of tools that are just going to help you to... Yeah, to manscape, to keep yourself all trim and fresh downstairs, okay? Because we all want to look our best and be our best as we're heading out in the world. And, you know, we're always taking care of our face and our underarms and all of this stuff. But, you know, we also have the our balls, let's just say it, okay? Sometimes they could get a little, like, not unkempt. You know, the, the area around there could not smell that great. And Manscaped, like, has basically got you covered. They sent us the Performance Package 4.0, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer. Let me get that here. It's like... 
Okay, this uh, trimmer, it's like really looks cool. Okay, it comes, you know, it's like, well, like one of these high-tech uh, razors that it, it comes with a charging stand. It's all, uh, it's all cool. And, you know, you could use it. Uh, obviously, you could use it for your nose or beard, but it's specifically designed for your your pubes and it'll keep them looking nice. Also, they uh, have other cool stuff in the package that I really like. There's this deodorant, this ball deodorant that, you know, like we always are putting deodorant under our arms to make it, you know, that smell nice. But like, what about the rest of our body? There's a really other smelly potential place. You use this ball deodorant at the start of the day, you're going to be uh, all clean and smooth out there, okay? And, you're f- and fresh. Plus, they even have the spray that comes in this package. The, uh, what's this called here? The, the crop reviver. You spray that for a little like touch up, maybe before you you're going to go out for a night. So like this box, this performance package from Manscaped is great. And we've got an offer for anyone who wants to get in because you can get 20% off this performance package for Manscaped plus free shipping if you use the code keeping at manscaped.com. So this is a new sponsor of the podcast. If you want to support us uh, and you want to try out these cool products from Manscaped, just go to manscaped.com. Use the offer code keeping Try it out. I think you're going to like it. I like it. Okay. My wife likes it. Wow. Well, how could you not? After that uh, that shining endorsement from Elon Dabrowski, again, manscaped.com, 20% off with free shipping if you use our code KEEPING. Uh, just keep in mind, Elon recommended that you could use it for your face and nose too. Just, just wash it in between locations that you use it, please. Yeah, this uh, lawnmower trimmer. Yeah, wash between every single location. That's a good idea. All right, so Brian, here we go. Uh, let's get back to the show. No more breaks until the end. And we've still got so much to talk about. So uh, since everyone I've talked about on the Kings, we were b- before on LA, and pretty much all of LA is just people who have always been on LA. I guess except for like there's Arvidsson who was on Nashville last year. Nashville just had this huge, ga- huge game today. I wasn't planning on talking about them, but yeah, take a look at all the available Nashville players because maybe this team's gonna be able to score some goals this year. Uh, but yeah, so I don't really have a, a transition from the Kings to get to this next team I want to talk about but how about let's do this one reason i added sean walker to my cupful team was because i decided i was going to cut bait on tyson berry and try to flip him while he still has some value so i'm very curious to get your updated stance on tyson berry i traded him by the way for taylor hall who that that was to ben but then we have a thing in the couple a mechanism called the counter offer mechanism where within 24 hours someone could send a counter offer and then i ended up getting marsh so offered to me i decided i prefer marsh so to hall so in the end the deal was tyson barry for jonathan marsh so and i've got walker and i've got like shattenkirk whatever i've got some other like lower level defensemen to shore up my d and i'm just happy to get rid of barry because i'm so nervous about him brian he's like obviously not having a great season on the score sheet yeah he had two assists a couple of games ago but then after that in the most recent game on Friday, Coach Tippett replaced Barry with Evan Bouchard on the top pairing with Nurse, and he also gave Nurse a higher share of the power play time. Barry ended this last game with only 14 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time. No shots, of course, no points. That was Barry's, obviously, fourth no-points game of the season out of the five, and that's on an Oilers team that's scoring, like, five-plus goals a game every single game, and somehow Tyson Barry hasn't been getting in on any of them, and it's obviously because this ice time has just been going down. I'm reading on Twitter, you know, I just, like, would search for Tyson Barry, and read about all the fans just being like, how is this guy still on the team? This guy's terrible. I like every single, like, seems like every shift, Barry's making a mistake that's causing Twitter to blow up. And obviously, Coach Tippett is starting to, I don't know, either follow Tippett Twitter or just like watch the games himself. And because, like I said, in this last game, the ice time went down. Obviously, this could be a total blip and he could go back to being on the top pair and go back to getting like all that power play time and go back to being like one of the highest scoring defensemen in the league like last year. I personally just got too nervous. I didn't want to have the stress of having to watch every single game, wait for that tweet on game day line 
Simmons saying that he's going to be healthy scratched for a game because now they have Bouchard, who they like better in the lineup, and they don't need Barry anymore. So, Brian, did I overreact here? Should I have held on to Barry? Did I sell too low sending him off for Marcheseau? Or are you agreeing with me that he's starting to look like a bit of a risk and people who have him may want to cut bait before it's too late? Because last year, by the way, I'm really traumatized, right? Because last year I had Taylor Hall, who I drafted pretty high, and he had a really slow start to the season in Buffalo. And then, you know, like I, I was stressed out and people were trying to take advantage of my stress and send me low ball offers for Taylor Hall that I rejected because like, I'm not going to just trade Taylor Hall for this guy. Then like a couple months later, I was like, man, I really should have accepted those trades. All these players are doing so much better than Taylor Hall still. And I ended up trading him for nothing, you know, pennies on the dollar. So I worry that this is where we're at currently with Tyson Barry, but feel free to talk all the other Tyson Barry managers off the ledge. Obviously, it's too late for me. Yeah, well, you had Taylor Hall and Mika Zibanejad. So you really went through a lot last year trying to trying to avoid the worst case scenarios with both those guys. And you, I don't know if you'd say you made it out alive from that or not, but Tyson, so I can't blame you for wanting to get out from under Tyson Barry early, who, yeah, has not looked good. He's lost a lot, he's lost a lot of ice at five on five, mostly because of that one big benching. But even when he is on the ice, Tyson Barry is not shooting as much as he's used to shooting. And that's something I would like to see Tyson Berry do is shoot how much he used to. I like it when Tyson Berry is involved and engaged in the offense. And when I see a guy like him shooting less, I'm honestly wondering, like, what are you doing, Tyson Berry? If you're not shooting, uh, you're also likely not playing very good defense. And here we're in a situation now where Tyson Berry is in danger of being yandled, right? Remember last season where Keith Yandel was just so poor defensively? He ended up just getting this top power play deployment. And even that was tenuous at times, and, and which is weird, right? Because Edmonton saw what they saw last year from Tyson Berry and then extended him. But maybe this is like, hey, if we're going to do this for another three years, uh, Tyson, this is what we need you to do and what is and is not acceptable for you during this contract. Um, the thing is that I, I feel like it's too late for that. You had your chance to work with Tyson Berry on his defensive lapses. And if you don't like them, I think your choice is to live with them or leave him, which is, I guess, the the latter is what the Oilers have tried to do early on. I mean, I think four games in is definitely too soon to hit the eject button on the guy slated to play the top power play with McDavid and Dreisaitl, who's coming off a 70-point pace season. You're right, though, Elon, there are red flags that we should still be keeping an eye on, though. Even if we're not writing him off yet, there is risk there. And it's up to you how much to tolerate. Like, you traded him for Taylor Hall initially, and I think you did well getting Hall. Hall was drafted 40 spots later on average in our Cup Fumble ADP. But we didn't know then that Hall would be a regular on the top power play, or he probably would have gone a little earlier. Um, You could lose in a deal where you go Barry for Taylor Hall, but you mitigated risk. This is what we talked about at the top of the show, right? You took a small downgrade from what we'd expect Tyson Barry to be uh, instead of waiting for a potentially bigger downgrade by just holding Barry and seeing the worst case uh, play out. I still expect Barry overall, like if I had him, I would be giving him more time. But of course, the more time you give him, the more you risk his value going down to zilch. Uh, I would hope this benching is a learning opportunity. But uh, I don't know. He's been around a long time and has probably been, you know, good to have tried to teach him a lot. I'm, I'm hopeful Barry can get Barry and the Oilers can get back on track and on the same page. But it is concerning. And anybody who has Barry on their roster needs to be worried. And he's also not someone I'm super excited to buy low on. Uh, I'm okay to just like miss out. If Barry rec- covers and I, I like I won't be like oh, I should have bought low I'll be like no I think I was right to hold off 
Yeah, definitely, to be clear, like, I'm not saying that people who have Barry should, like, drop him, right? Like, I agree with you that I would definitely give him more rope. It was more for me, like like you said, like, just about, like, trying to get something good for him as opposed to waiting and potentially not getting something good. But I definitely see a scenario where, like you say, he learns his lessons and he gets back to doing what he did last year. Of course, last year, Evan Bouchard wasn't there. And Evan Bouchard, by the way, having a nice start to the year. Five points in three games, seeing over 20 minutes per game, which is six minutes more than Barry saw in the last game. So it's just another player that Barry has to contend with for that roster spot. So, uh, good for people who keep Barry and honestly to Jordan, who now has Barry like good luck I hope he works out for you and I hope Marsha so works out for me we'll actually talk about Marsha so in a little bit because he's actually pointless to start the year also but obviously he's at least getting the shots in the deployment and yeah Brian I guess I brought up Evan Bouchard what do you what do you think about this guy are you with me that he's like I don't know because I, like, I don't think he's like a super enticing grab right now but definitely someone that I have my eye on obviously in dynasty leagues you want to look at him maybe he's the future top power play quarterback that right now it's nurse or Barry for the foreseeable future I'd imagine yeah and Evan Bouchard is arguably the guy who should be taking this mantle. Uh, Low Tide Alan Mitchell, who we interviewed for our 32 Beat series, called him Edmonton's secret weapon going into this year. And we liked what we saw from Evan Bouchard last year in small spurts. Uh, His like opportunities were, and we mentioned this at the time, were incomprehensibly limited given what we thought was Edmonton's need for a player like Bouchard who could move the puck, who needed some reps to grow and was learning how to be defensively responsible, like a better version of Tyson Barry, but he couldn't even get in the lineup consistently last year. And when he did, Bouchard was often limited to fewer than 12 minutes, which is why I'm surprised and refreshed to see Bouchard playing 17, 18, 19, 22, 24 minutes this year so far in each of his games. It's not like the Oilers to actually give young, versatile defenseman this kind of opportunity so it's it means something i think that they're giving it to evan bouchard great shot numbers he occasionally contributes to other peripheral categories he is a great player to be keeping an eye on if tyson barry continues to fall out of favor I, like i'm not going to say he's like aaron ekblad there's, there's too many differences between them but in the yandel analogy i think bouchard is the ekblad he's the one who who stands to gain the most if barry does find himself exiled from all the best scoring opportunities yeah okay so obviously this is like too early we'll have to wait and see but it's a it's a stressful situation if you've got barry i'll just say that and uh, i guess i'm not stressed anymore though obviously if i see barry do well like i said i'll be happy i'll be happy for jordan and the people who held on to barry as long as jonathan marcheseau does well for me so let's go to marcheseau next because it was actually vegas that's the team who uh barry got benched against and unfortunately for vegas they have not been able to survive as well after the loss of their two big stars in stone and patcheretti compared to like pittsburgh who i mentioned before beat the leafs seven to one without all their stars uh vegas have lost three in a row after winning the season opener versus the kraken last week brian when we talked about patch and stone being injured uh you suggest that maybe this could potentially be good news for that misfit line you know marcia so carlson and smith because they'll see a bigger role maybe more power play time so far that has not come to pass especially for marcia so who's gone pointless in three straight games after scoring in the season opener uh brian do you have a concern about marcia so at this point after these past three games or do you see now or soon as like a potential buy low time on a guy who put up a 66 point pace last season i think i'm well i'm sort of in between because when you're going by marcia's pace last season i think 66 points was a touch high for him so if you're looking at him closer to 60 points then that's a great place to acquire jonathan marshall and i think he'll get back there too uh, so far this season he has no assists at five on five which is partially because his team is barely scoring with him on the ice uh, the golden knights are shooting five and a half percent at five on five with marshall on the ice 
and only two goals have been scored with Marcheseau on the ice, and one was by him, and he did not get an assist on the other. Uh, you know, I think uh, Marcheseau's line is also looking like they've been on their heels more than usual, and I wonder if that's because of Stone and Pacioretty being out, and they've had to take on sort of a bigger responsibility. I'm not going to get too caught up in it, um, but it is... A thought, at least. Remember uh, last week, I said I thought maybe Stone and Pacioretty might help Marcia So. Uh, it looks like that, like you were like, oh, I think them being injured will let other teams key on key in on his line more. And your take seemed to be right there. Um, it's sad to see Marcia So be so quiet early, but everything I'm looking at tells me he should be mostly okay. And of course, we might need to see Stone and Pacioretty return for Marcia So to get all the way back up to a 60-point pace. But I expect him to get there one way or the other. Yeah, I guess keep on shooting, Marceau, and I'll hope that some of those shots start going in eventually. But yeah, things aren't looking great for Vegas. Like I said, Robin Leonard, we already talked about 1-3, 901 save percentage, only one quality start so far in his four games, according to Frozen Tools. Uh, so I guess we already t- discussed this. But yeah, Leonard, if you if you still believe in him, now would be a good time to get him. I think this is the cheapest price, as long as, you're le- as, long as the Leonard manager isn't uh, Brian, who ha- is not going to let go of someone that they drafted really high. I think now could be a good buy-low opportunity for a lot of people, unless... But again, there's risk here, right? I don't think he's like a sure thing. He's not like even a Marner to me. You know, he's a little bit below that because it's a goalie. And also, we've never really seen Leonard be in the situation of being a starting goalie, like a sure shot starter that's playing a ton of games. He usually has another goalie to take a lot of games and he really shines in the games he gets. So it's uh, it's a big season for Leonard. I guess though he has the contract under his belt. So either way, he's fine financially, but obviously he wants to prove to everyone that he's worth the money he's getting. He's a really solid starter in the league. Not a great start, but it's only four games in. Of course, speaking of Marsh, so once upon a time, he was just a middling guy over on the Tampa Bay Lightning before he went to Florida and then Vegas, where he blossomed into a star. And Tampa is our next stop, okay? Because we're going to talk about another peripherals guy. We've already talked about Sean Walker. Let's throw another one at the listeners. And Eric Cernak, who has been a peripherals beast so far this season, especially in Saturday's loss to Colorado, where Cernak had seven shots and seven hits in his 21 minutes and a half of ice time, including five minutes of shorthanded times. That's a lot of time to stand there and, I guess, uh, make hits and even block some shots. Cernak is now by the way up to 19 shots on the season in only five games along with his 17 hits he has two assists so far so he hasn't been huge offensively but in your multi-category leagues this is a pretty solid bet if he's going to continue to give you these huge shot and hit numbers tampa by the way has a nice schedule to start next week they play monday tuesday and thursday so if you need a d in your bangers leagues seems like a good short-term ad at the least but also if he keeps shooting like this god imagine a few pucks will start going in and maybe he's even better uh so we'll have to wait and see brian uh just curious from what you've seen from Cernak so far this season, do you think that he's like better than what you thought of him last year? Has he potentially been elevated to past streamer status and someone that you potentially want to hold? Or do you see this as just like a really hot peripheral start? It's always hard. Like I feel like we have all of these ways of determining if players' production is sustainable for like goals and assists. I know you're looking at the on-ice shooting percentage and like different kind of advanced stats. I don't really know how to tell if like shots and, and hits are as sustainable. So I'm curious to know what you think of this hot peripheral start for Cernak. I am loving the fact that Eric Cernak, you know, of all the guys to double their usual shot rates early on, Eric Cernak was not someone I had on my list. But here we are, where Cernak's five-on-five shot rates, he's averaging 13 shots per 60 minutes. That's better than what we see from high shooting forwards. Like right now, of all skaters who've played at least 60 minutes at five-on-five this season, Eric Cernak ranks third in shots per 60. And if you take that threshold down to like 50 minutes or more, 
he's still a top 10 shooter in the NHL. Eric Cernak, he's one of four defensemen within the top 30-35, including Matt Dumba, Oliver ekman Larson, and your boy Sean Walker. Uh, Eric Cernak's hits have held steady, which is nice. His blocks have gone a little low. So uh, as for the shots, though, which is really what we're looking at to see, hey, is this something that's going to hold? I... You know, keep an eye on our Twitter because I wrote our beat writer friend Joe Smith, um, who writes for the Athletic, who's the Tampa Bay beat writer there. And so I'm waiting on a response. And when Joe writes back, I am going to retweet it. But we did have a helpful response from Michael G, who said that you know Sunak is just getting more comfortable. Like the Lightning like to push their D into the rush. And uh, Sternak is getting more comfortable doing that and that they've also been working on as a team trying to hit the net through traffic from the point. And I trust Michael G because his avatar on Twitter is like the Tampa Bay Lightning logo. So expert. Yeah, expert (laughs) on the team. So thank you, Michael, for those responses. And like it makes sense, right? Sternak is more engaged. Obviously, he's being coached to be more engaged. If you're asking me if he's ascended beyond streamer status, I think the answer is similar to Sean Walker, right? If Cernak keeps up these shots on goal, then yeah, if his shots and hits make him someone really helpful, like if those elevate him to like a Radko Gudas type who is worth rostering in a lot of leagues at his peak, then yeah, Eric Cernak is worth rostering. But still, when it comes to production, don't expect to see much more than like, I think you're lucky if you see 35 points from Cernak, even with all these shots. That's probably the high end for him. I'd probably have him somewhere between 30 and 35 points. If you're going for him, you're going for the shots, you're going for the hits, you're going for the occasional block and the very occasional point. Yeah, kind of reminds me of Ryan Graves a couple years ago on Colorado. He was taking a lot of shots. Not too many were going in, but it was still pretty valuable to roster for a little while. Just like drop him once. These shots slow down, like you said. Uh, so like we said, uh, Tampa Bay plays Monday and Tuesday next week. Uh, maybe you want to take a look in a deeper league at Corey Perry. He's been on the top power play, at least in the last game. He took four shots in that game. Still pointless on the season. Could be another decent early week ad. But the real reason why I bring up Corey Perry is because I want to jump over to his previous team, the Montreal Canadiens, who finally scored some goals and got into the win column with a 6-1 win over the Red Wings on Saturday. Unfortunately, I guess half of those goals came from someone on nobody's fantasy rosters in former Keevan Carlson legend Matthew Perot, one of Brian's first ever, like, hot takes on the show that I recall really turning out well was him telling people when Matthew Perot was on Winnipeg, like, check out this guy Perot. He's about to, you know, be big. And then, like, the next two weeks, he had, like, a, a torrid run of, like, scoring goals every single game. And I was like, wow, Brian really knows his stuff. What a genius. Uh, so Perot's still around. I don't even know how many people realize that he's even on the Habs this year outside of Habs fans. Uh, but yeah, he had a huge game on Saturday. A hat trick, six shots. What a game, okay? He joined Elias Lindholm and David Perron for a hat trick of hat tricks last night in the NHL. Uh, so Perot was actually playing on a new look third line with Toffoli and Caulfield who each assisted on his second goal. So this wasn't like Perot just being some fourth liner who just somehow lucked into some goals. Like he's getting good deployment with good players. So he's obviously someone to at least have on our radars. Uh, but with these line shakeups, it's interesting, right? They have Anderson, Druin, and Dvorak who've stayed together basically the whole season. And then Nick Suzuki was centering a line of Gallagher and Hoffman. You know, Brian, like, it's weird how Montreal has so much trouble scoring. Like, this looks like a really kind of stacked top nine with lots of 
good players who you expect to be able to put up points. So hopefully these lines continue to click because the Habs could definitely use some more games like this in their Western road trip that's coming up next week. So yeah, while Perot maybe has some intrigue in the deepest of deep leagues, let's talk about two of the Habs that were drafted really highly in leagues that somehow still went pointless yesterday. Like Nick Suzuki, the Habs scored six goals. Nick Suzuki, no points and no shots versus Detroit. And he actually hasn't taken more than one shot in any game since the season opener this year. He has just one assist in six games now. This is a guy who had a 60-point pace last year as a sophomore and is now doing diddly. Uh, And then I'll bring up another player. So that was Suzuki. Then you've got Jeff Petrie, who still has no points in his six games and has also been slacking in the shot department. None on Saturday. Only five in five games since the opener. I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to be a Petrie manager and see him do nothing, especially while Sammy Niku picked up two assists, including one from, I guess, the second power player, the power play 2B yesterday. Like, you want to be like, no, I took Petrie because I knew that Weber was going to be gone and he's going to be the main person that the Habs are going to depend on to be a power play quarterback. I don't want Sammy Niku taking all these power play points. So yeah, Petrie was drafted 58th on average in the couple with many, myself included, thinking he was going to be money this year. So it's not working out. So Brian, what... Do you think people should do with these high-end halves in Suzuki and Petrie? Is it time to consider dropping these guys? Do you wait and give them more time? Do you try to sell like I did with Tyson Barry and get something for them before, you know, their stock really falls? Or obviously the more bright answer would be that just they're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Now the halves have started scoring. Maybe things will start to turn around for them. Well, the Habs have started scoring, but it doesn't help anybody who's holding on to Nick Suzuki or Jeff Petrie. Uh, but I, I, I think we talked about this on the patron cast. Elon, I know in a shallow league, you could for sure be tempted to drop these guys. But my answer is that when we see the, a whole team struggling, I don't get hung up on individual performances. I'm not saying, well, all of Montreal is struggling, so Nick Suzuki is going to have a terrible season. If all of Montreal was doing well and Nick Suzuki wasn't, yeah, I'd be like, well, I'm kind of worried about Nick Suzuki's fortunes. But they just finally broke open the scoring last game, and Mathieu Perrault did it single-handedly with his natural hat trick. I, I think it's really unfortunate and definitely below what we expected coming into the year with the what the Habs have done overall in scoring. And Petrie and Suzuki themselves, they have yet to actually be on the ice for a five-on-five goal. Petrie's also lost 30 seconds of ice time a night. Suzuki has lost 80 seconds of ice time a night. Both are shooting at half the usual rate. So there's a lot of reason to actually be concerned. But as I think we said on the show two or three weeks ago, the Habs are a team in flux. They've lost, uh, they're, they've lost or are missing some really, really key pieces. And I think this is a moment to just be patient about them. Uh, like if you have Jeff Petrie, I'm sorry, that's rough. If you have Nick Suzuki, I'm sorry, that's rough too. I don't think you can cut them if your league isn't too shallow. I doubt you can recoup much trade value for them either at this point. So right now you, as a Petrie or Suzuki manager, are just looking to the next week or two and seeing, okay, as Montreal gets on their feet, which I, I hope they will, what are Suzuki and Petrie doing then? Yeah, I think that's fair. Montreal has a good schedule next week, at least, right? So you get your Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday slate against Seattle, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. Hard to tell. Like, like San Jose and Seattle should be, like, easy-ish games, but San Jose's obviously been really good that they got blown out these last last games. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll see how the Habs do this week, and then maybe we can reassess. Not that we're going to bring up the Habs every week on the podcast, but I think this is, like, a big week for people who have Suzuki. With Petrie, I feel like you just got to hold him while he's the top power play quarterback, right? But uh, Suzuki, definitely, I would want to see how he does this week, 
especially if they're running this top nine, all three lines look pretty good. Maybe Suzuki isn't the straw that stirs the drink, as I kind of thought he would be going into the season. I thought it was going to be like Suzuki, Caulfield, and just Foley. That would be the scoring line, and then everyone else would just be like, I don't know, playing well defensively or something. But who knows what's going to happen now with the lines all shaken up. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, give him give him another week. Like Brian's saying, Brian's maybe saying even to give him longer. But I'm at least saying give him one more week and then let's reassess. By the way, one interesting note from that Detroit game was that Philip Hironik was scratched after only managing one assist in his first four games. Looks like he was scratched again, Brian, for today's game that the Red Wings played against Chicago. So at this point, uh, we're in total snoozer status for Philip Hironik, right? He's still rostered in 27% of leagues on Yahoo. So maybe people have already pretty much gotten the message and these 27% of leagues are already like leagues where the managers have just disappeared. So maybe I'm talking into a void here. But if you happen to have Hironik on your team still, get rid of him. Forget it. It's not happening. I'd rather have Letty or Cider, who are both doing better. Like, like Hironik is maybe the third best defenseman to own on the team in fantasy right now. Yeah, and don't forget that Nick Letty, by the way, four points in five games. He's gotten so little play for what he's doing. Maybe that's because Nick Letty also does absolutely nothing else still, but he does have this. I don't know if anyone remembers because, of course, he's been with the Islanders for so long, but when he was drafted by Chicago and then traded to the Islanders, he had this this pedigree as being an offensive defenseman, someone like who's a smooth skater, can make good passes, can quarterback a power play, and here he is doing it. Uh, because Philip Ronick is not. He is definitely a snoozer. Maybe the benching is a good sign in the long run. Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna get something straight. Uh, but short term, I don't think Ronick is on the verge of having a huge year quarterbacking the top power play. He hasn't been able to earn that spot to this point when there was less competition, and now he's having trouble even getting into a game. So Philip Ronick is someone that you should be. Uh, yeah, you're you're snoozing on if he's still on your lineup. Yeah, you could find someone else better for sure, maybe even on the same team. Uh, So speaking of Letty, his former team, the Islanders, have been shaking up their lines quite a bit, just like the Habs. All preseason, we were talking about, will it be Palmieri or Wallstrom on the top line? Because that's what Trotz told us, right? He said it's going to be one of them that end up as the top line winger with Barzal and Lee. Uh, But in Saturday's game, they already went in a different direction for the shutout win over the Coyotes, as it was Josh Bailey playing with Barzal and Lee on the top line. Then it was Brock Nelson with Palmieri and Beauvillier on the second line then wallstrom peugeot and parise on the third line so not exactly sure what the takeaway is here since things could keep shifting aside from that it's probably not worth getting too attached to any forward not named barzal and maybe anders lee on this team especially with like we said in the intro of the show uh islanders only play one game next week on saturday so you might not even have room for the player when they do play so i kind of feel like you could drop every single islanders forward outside of barzal and maybe anders lee like i wouldn't be holding on to palmieri i wouldn't be holding on to nelson obviously it depends how deep your league is but assuming this is a league like the cupful and you could stream in someone who's somewhat decent uh, i don't see a reason to hold any of these guys because it doesn't even seem like anyone's a sure thing to stick with good deployment it might just be shaking around for a while Absolutely agree. In cupful-ish deep leagues or shallower, drop everyone not named Barzal and Lee. Uh, if you wanted to drop Anders Lee and no one, like everyone else, is going to sleep on him in your league, I, th- I think that's justifiable. But those are the only two worth holding, of course, along with Sorokin and Varlamov, who are more painful to hold through this if Varlamov is healthy and they each only play half the games because the Isles only play five times in the next three weeks. Um, so just keep an eye on, on how 
well, there's nothing you could do. I wouldn't drop Sorokin or Varlamov. I have them on a couple rosters and it's going to hurt and it might be a rough few weeks, but I'm going to stay the course with them. But I did drop Kyle Palmieri earlier this year with an eye to this week where the Islanders barely play, knowing that he wasn't going to survive on my roster by the time we got here anyway. Like after they play, so they, the Islanders play Saturday and then they play four times between this Saturday and next Saturday. And then their schedule goes dark again, where they play just one game in the eight days after that. It's a brutal time to be a holding Islanders. And uh, I, I empathize with you if you have Barzal, Lee, Sorokin, or Varlamov, because those guys cannot be dropped, but the rest can. Don't hold on to Anthony Beauvillier. Yeah, agreed. By the way, let's just go back to Nick Letty's current team on Detroit. We should mention, actually, this Detroit team is destroying Chicago right now. Huge game for Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Lucas Raymond. All are having like three plus point games. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Also, uh, Moritz Sider. Uh, he's great. He's going to be great, Brian. Already another point today as well. So yeah, look at Detroit. I guess they're beating up on the weaker teams, even though they couldn't beat up on Montreal. So it's so hard to predict what's going to happen in the NHL. <laughs> like, how is it? Te- anyway, uh, yeah, Detroit uh, doing well today. And anyone who held on to Lucas Raymond, Raymond, very happy right now because he's having a huge night. But okay, so uh, still back to the Islanders. That was only the forwards that you were talking about. Then, Brian, you talked about their goalies. But also on D, we should mention Noah Dobson. Looking pretty good. He's got assists in each of his last two games, including a power play assist from the top power play versus Arizona on Saturday. He also took four shots and had three blocks in that last game. I feel like at this point, Noah Dobson may be approaching the territory of being a defenseman on the Islanders who's actually worth rostering for a full season, even just for the offense, which like hasn't been the case in forever. Like, yeah, Ryan Pulak has been there, and Pulak is like really good for peripherals. He's had solid hits and blocks all season. Unfortunately, the offense just hasn't been there at all this year so far. Less than two shots per game, no points. So he, Pulak is another guy that it would be tough to decide whether to hold or not. Obviously, it depends on how valuable the hits and blocks are in your league. But Noah Dobson... I don't know. Yeah, he's maybe if you could like drop him and get him back after this week's schedule a little bit, or maybe like watch if an opponent in your league drops Dobson because they don't want to hold him for this bad schedule. But I have my eye on this guy. He seems like he could be the best Islanders defenseman to roster in fantasy in a long time. So we'll have to wait and see. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah, which isn't saying much. It's been a low bar to clear for Noah Dobson to become the most valuable. Uh, Isles defenseman in a long time. Uh, I'm still, honestly, I know you're, you're into him. I know Ben's into him. I'm just not that into him. He barely shoots. He occasionally gets a point. Uh, he's on a power play unit that is likely, like so far he's seeing 60% of the power play time. But I think that unit, if the Isles continue rolling their units as they have in the past couple of years with Barry Trotz, he's still only going to see half the power play time. So Dobson is also someone that I would drop going into this week, unless you're really, really starved and desperate for defense, uh, then I guess you can hold him. But I am not, uh, I'm not big. I I agree with you, Elon, that maybe he's going to have one of the better point totals we've seen from an Isles defenseman. But again, the bar is so low that it doesn't even necessarily mean he's rosterable if he's doing so little of anything else in any other category. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, he did take four shots in the last game, but you're right. Before that, he was having one or zero shots in all the rest of the game. So come on, Dobson. Hopefully he's taking notes from that game versus the Coyotes, and he'll like continue to do what he was doing in that game, because that, that would obviously make a big difference if he becomes more of a volume shooter. All right, so another non-offense but stable guy on the aisles is, of course, J.G. Pajot. And when I say another, I mean just like Ryan Pulak. Uh, so let's go over to Pajot's former team in Ottawa, where Brady Kachuk is back. So far, has only one assist in his two games, but six shots and 12 hits in those two games. So Brady helping you in all the categories you expected, except unfortunately for goals. Hopefully 
hopefully pucks will start going in for him next week to justify his being drafted so high all over going to the season. Brian, you, I know, drafted Brady Kachuk in the Kakupful. I assume you're not concerned that he hasn't scored a goal yet. It's only two games, right? I am not concerned at all. Brady Kachuk missed camp. He's catching up. Let's cut him some slack. The shots and hits are coming. That's all I want to see. I mean, I would love to see the full package here. But for now, hey, Brady, just get in the game. I'm glad you're in it. And then hopefully before long, we start seeing that 60-ish point pace worth of points that we hope to see from Kachuk, that that starts coming shortly. I I think it will. I don't think he's going to need a whole lot of time to catch up, but I don't think it's anything worth panicking about in his first couple games after, yeah, having missed camp, having not been able to work out with the team, that he's he's just getting into things here. Yeah, I'm not worried at all, definitely. The, the thing to be worried about in Ottawa is that their expensive goalie, Matt Murray, is injured once again. And maybe this one isn't his fault. He took a knee to the head from Kreider after a goal. Obviously, we're wishing Matt Murray the best. I hope he'll get well soon. But in the meantime, back on the IR for Matt Murray. Anton Forsberg came in and led in two goals on three shots in that game versus the Rangers. And the Rangers came back to win 3-2. to two. So, Brian, if Murray is out long term, how interested are you in jumping on an Ottawa goalie that is very likely in free agency right now, be it Anton Forsberg or Philip Gustafsson, who really has been so good in his limited NHL action? Like, I wonder if Murray's out long term. I don't think it would take too long for Gustafsson to become the starter, though you never know. Ottawa might just go 50-50, but I would be into Gustafsson at least as a stream whenever he plays because he's looked really good. Yeah, and Ottawa is not as scary uh, a team to stream a goalie start from as they have been in the past. So that's a reason to be a little bit into Anton Forsberg and Philip Gustafsson. I could see them both splitting starts while Murray is out. And Murray could be out a while, right? Like the poor guy has a concussion history. I think it was, what, a knee to the head. So I'm not expecting to see Murray back anytime soon. Um, So in that time, maybe if Gustafsson or Forsberg, one of them gets hot, maybe the team will go with a hot hand. But I don't think if you're looking, you know, planning ahead for the next couple weeks, I'm not sure I see any guy above a streamer just because I don't think anyone is going to run away with the top job. You also have to be ready for, you know, it still could be an ugly start. It's not much different than putting Matt Murray in your crease and if you're putting Anton Forsberg or Philip Gustafsson in your crease. So keep that in mind, but I will be looking to them for streams when the Sens play and I need points. Uh, if I'm like, if I'm already in a comfortable decision, I might decide to let that stream sit and not actually go for it. But if, hey, if I, if I need to catch up or I need some counting stats, I'm, I'm going for it. We've seen both of them play well this year already. And in recent history before this year, too, I would like to see more of each. I think this is a good opportunity to get a real good look at them. Yeah, and hey, Ottawa, like, you know, now Brady Kachuk is back, right? So this team should be better even than they were, like, earlier in the season, now that they have their superstar player back. So who knows? At some point, Ottawa's going to get to be a better team. Like, last year, they ended really strong, so I'm curious to see what they'll do once everyone's healthy. Uh, So yeah, I like those Ottawa streamers, but like you say, it's hard to, like, land on one of them and hold them because you don't know who's going to get the starts. Obviously, if one of them starts running away with the starts, that's where you want to maybe grab that guy because you're going to potentially get volume, lots of saves, hopefully good numbers, but obviously depends on the opponents also. Uh, Though, unfortunately, they're not fully healthy, even forgetting about Murray because also Shane Pinto was injured and he was centering that second line. It was a heralded prospect. We were excited to see what he'll do this season. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for a little while. So this guy named Nick Paul has been centering line two with Connor Brown and Jimmy Stutzla. And uh, Paul scored a goal yesterday, assisted by those line mates that I just mentioned. So 
there you go. Some more names to keep in mind if you want to stream in some Ottawa players. Uh, they have another bad schedule uh, next week. I think they only play like Wednesday and Friday or Mon- I don't know what it is. It's like only two games next week. So unfortunately for Ottawa and people who have Ottawa players on their teams, they haven't been getting a lot of games. But after that, maybe take a look at these depth Ottawa guys. There's another depth Ottawa guy named Zach Sanford who used to be on St. Louis. And so let's go to St. Louis next where I'd like to mention David Perron, who's been outstanding to start the season. He was getting a point per game and then he just popped off for three goals and one assist on Saturday versus LA. Brian, this was like uh, something that we can say we got right, right? Going into the season, maybe this wasn't even a hot take. It felt like to us, like every year we're like, "Uh, there's no way Perron's going to be this good. But then going into this season, we were like, no, Perron is for real. What he's been doing is like something that we can depend on year after year. And he had over a point per game last year. He's well on track to do that again this year, or at least come close. So great start for David Perron on that top line with O'Reilly. The third piece on that line was normally Brandon Saad, but he's in COVID protocol. So I'll quickly mention Klim Costin, who was playing on that line with O'Reilly and Perron on that game versus LA on Saturday. And he picked up an assist to go along with his four hits. So we've got uh, now two goals, one assist, six shots, and 12 hits in three games now for Klim Costin. So maybe a good option to stream in on Monday versus LA for the rematch if Saad is still out. Brian, who is Klim Costin? Is he someone you would be interested in streaming in while he's in this good spot, especially in a league that counts hits? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in streaming Clem Costin in this spot. We streamed the aforementioned Zach Sanford, who, by the way, uh, is good friends with Colin White, if you're keeping your Ottawa Senators friends map intact. But yeah, we've, we've, we've streamed in Zach Sanford, Sammy Blaze, uh, Jordan Cairo, and Clem Costin in this spot because it can be a pretty good spot to produce from. Not everybody succeeds at it, but Clem Costin has had a really nice start at doing it. And who is he? Uh, he's a former 31st overall first round pick of the Blues back in 2017. Uh, he's been, uh, his North American experience has been very limited. Uh, he played last season in the KHL and put up 18 points in 43 games. So not the greatest scoring line. And actually, if you look back at his AHL numbers um, going into like his first NHL Cups of Coffee, uh, he also was not a huge score in the AHL either with the San Antonio Rampage. So three points in three games, a great start for Klim Costin, but I think he's more of a, a middle six type player. I don't think you're expecting this guy to be a true top six talent, but while he's in there uh, putting up points with some of the best players the Blues have to put him with, then you might as well go ahead and stream him if his schedule works for yours. Yeah, especially if your league counts hits, right? Because he's definitely going to give you a lot of those no matter where he is in the lineup. As long as he gets the minutes, he's going to get them if he's on the top line. Brian, I got to talk about Vladimir Tarasenko, who's only getting line three treatment on the Blues as opposed to Costin on line one with Saad out, but doesn't matter. Tarasenko has come out super strong. He had two power play assists on Saturday versus the Kings, but from power play one, by the way. So yeah, line three, but power play one is always really helpful. And that brings Tarasenko to one goal and three assists in four games. Plus, how about those shots? 20 shots in four games. That's five shots per game, which is unbelievable. So Brian, at this point, like good for Tarasenko, first of all, right? Because he had that rough offseason where he was like not even protected in the expansion draft. He asked for a trade or like they couldn't figure find a team that even wanted him. Now he's showing people that maybe 
maybe you should have taken me because I'm a, still a pretty great player. But what would you do with Tarasenko right now in fantasy? Do you think that he can be the Tarasenko of old, even with this lower time on ice and weaker line mates than usual? And no offense to Thomas and Barbashev, but Tarasenko used to be a top sixer, even a top liner on this team. Now he's on line three. Or are you expecting like a cool off to come soon? There's no way he can be this like 70 point high shooting guy from his position on the roster. Well, we have to, you mentioned high shooting. We have to give Vladimir Tarasenko credit. He's up above Eric Cernak with his shot rates. That's how many shots per 60 minutes that Vladimir Tarasenko is taking more than Eric Cernak. But uh, like, seriously, he's playing possessed early on and good for Tarasenko for being motivated in what appears to be, yeah, this really crummy situation. He's lost nearly 90 seconds a night at five on five playing on the third line. Thank goodness he still has that those top power play minutes. But in the minutes he is getting at five on five, Tarasenko is making the most of them, more than twice his shot and shot attempt rates uh, than he's used to seeing. It would be crazy, though, for Tarasenko to get his usual 75-point pace from where he's at. Really just, he'd need to feast completely on the power play and then make the third line look like the first or second line, which he he might be capable of doing, but... What I'd rather do if I had Tarasenko on my team, which I don't on any rosters, but if if I did, I would be selling high. Even in a perfect situation, I don't know that Tarasenko is capable of beating his signature 75 points. And by that, I mean, even if Tarasenko does get traded away to another team, you know, you're selling low because he's on the third line. But if he gets traded, he's going to he could be on a top line. I still don't know if that's going to be a a possible scenario for Tarasenko. You know, you go to a new team, there's adjustments to make, maybe you bounce around a little bit in the depth chart. And, of course, Tarasenko might not get traded. He could keep spending the season in this less-than-perfect situation in St. Louis. He just feels like a risky hold since his status is so up in the air. So if you see Tarasenko, like, if you can get your league mates to see that Tarasenko looks like vintage Tarasenko and sell him for that kind of price, absolutely do it. Uh, Like, obviously, it goes without saying, sell him for someone like Svechnikov. You probably can't pull that off, but you're looking for somebody who you can for sure rely on 70 points from. And I think in some leagues, you'd be able to pull that off. So if you're able to sell high on Tarasenko, I'd love to hear about it. I think that's the move. Yeah, I, this is probably a decline, but shoot an offer to the Mitch Marner manager who might be super frustrated. Be like, would you rather have five shots per game or like one shot per game? And you're definitely still going to lose, by the way, in terms of shots. But hopefully Marner is going to just like crush him in total points. Yeah, I would definitely make that trade offer and probably you'll get laughed out of the room, but maybe not based on how the season has started. Uh, so yeah, former teammate and line mate of Tarasenko is TJ Oshie. Remember when he was on St. Louis for so long? Now Oshie is in Washington. So let's go there to discuss the Capitals who after a strong start to the season, they're undefeated in regulation sitting at 3-0-2 after the 4-3 overtime loss to the Flames on Saturday where like I mentioned Lindholm had that hat trick so great job to anyone who drafted Lindholm he's been amazing but we're on Washington okay we've already discussed some of the high highs on the caps over these past couple of weeks like that top line of Ovechkin, Kuznetsov and Wilson are all off to like scorching starts to their season Uh, so I won't once again talk about how great Ovechkin and Kuznetsov are Uh, let's actually go to the other side of things disappointing players on the caps I was surprised to see that somehow with all these goals that Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and company have been scoring, John Carlson is actually having kind of a disappointing start to the season. Only two assists in five games and only five shots in those five games when he's been above two and a half shots per game for most of the past few seasons. Also, Carlson only has four blocks when he's usually good for well over one per game. And now I'm t- telling you like four blocks in five games. Uh, 
what's going on with John Carlson, Brian? Like, he's only 31 years old, but maybe should we be concerned that he's starting to regress because of, you know, his age? Like, obviously, like, people start to decline once they get into their 30s. Is there some rule that's happening right now in the league where there's only allowed to be one Carlson who's doing well? And since Eric Carlson is having such a great bounce back, John Carlson has to slow down so that the total Carlson output is even? Like, I'm just very curious to know why John Carlson could be doing so poorly when everyone else in Washington is getting all these points. It's just bad luck. He's on the ice and he's just not getting in on the goals. I'm going to get to John Carlson, but sorry, before we do, just in St. Louis, quick shout out to Robert Thomas, who's on a three-game point streak with Tarasenko. He has four assists in three games, including one multi-point outing, but only two shots in four games, which is just a big LOL. Uh, it actually looks like that in the score sheet. There's a one zero one zero. Uh, so LOLO for Rob, Robert Thomas's shot taking. So don't take him for that, but maybe he can keep piling up a, a few assists alongside Tarasenko. But you wanted to know, Elon, about John Carlson and what is going on with some crazy Carlson rule. There's no Carlson rule in the NHL, uh, but it is sort of funny to see Carlson's performance this year. Uh, like it, it doesn't look normal. It's not something I can just write off by saying, yeah, bad variance. There's a lot of other stuff happening. And, and here's what some of it is for John Carlson. First, he's down 80 seconds uh, of ice time a night at five on five. His shot and shot attempt rates have taken a hit at five on five and on the power play where he's barely shooting right now. His power play points participation is down too. But honestly, maybe it stays that way. If Carlson doesn't start shooting again, that's how you get involved on the power play, right? You take a big shot, someone deflects it, or there's a rebound. It's a really odd start to the year for John Carlson. It's something something that anybody rostering Carlson should be keeping an eye on. Uh, like if he's off his game, you're going to want to catch it before anyone else in your league does. And, and this can't be explained by age. This kind of drop doesn't happen uh, that we're seeing in Carlson's numbers uh, because you're 31. It happens because you're injured usually, or your coach doesn't like you is another reason, but I, he has the same coach he's had for all this time. So I wonder if John Carlson is playing with something. Um, I also put this question out on Twitter. Someone said he had like kneecap surgery, which maybe he's still having a hard time recovering from. He also, I think is playing with a rookie as a defense partner. Uh, Fehervari is, is the name. It kind of reminds me of February. He scored his first NHL goal recently, but um, maybe you can't jump up as much with a rookie as you could when you're playing with Dmitry Orlov or Michael Kempney or Brendan Dillon because you know those guys are going to be there for you. So I wonder if um, this is maybe just a bit of growing pains for Carlson and his new D partner as he helps sort of be the more responsible one or has to be the more responsible one and shooting less. Either way, Carlson's low production is not just bad variance. It is cause for some concern. And uh, yeah, if you have them on your roster, stay tuned because we're going to be watching this. I have them on one roster and I'm uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do about him yet. I'm going to keep watching and hope that it is just get it. He, he and his D partner getting acclimated and the shots start coming soon. But if they don't, like within this week, I would start maybe shopping him around or even start now. See what you can get back for him. Wow. Okay. I was pretty positive that you were going to say, don't worry about a small sample size, but okay. You're looking under the hood and seeing some things to be concerned about. I don't know if maybe you want to give it a couple more games before you shop them, unless you're like getting someone really awesome and reliable in return. But yeah, this would be a huge disappointment because Carlson is someone who's being drafted as one of the top defensemen in fantasy leagues. And uh, yeah, maybe a drop is coming uh, too bad, but you know, he's still the main go-to guy on the caps. The good thing is there's not like competition. You don't have to be worried about him losing his spot. Like, you know, we were talking about with Tyson Barry. There's a lot of people chomping at the bit to take his 
spot if you know they could earn it on Washington. I really can't imagine him losing like that top power play or like most of his even strength ice time. For sure. So that's the silver lining of John Carlson. That's what you say when you're shopping him around. Hopefully it's someone who hasn't noticed. Like when I say shop him around, I say shop him around for full value before anyone else has really noticed, assuming that not everyone in your league listens to our show because you haven't told them about us. Why won't you tell them about... No, I'm kidding. I understand. Uh, but that would be my first move is to just say, hey, you know, I think I want to trade a D for an elite forward or goalie and then see if you can get that conversation to go further if you just want to get get away from any John Carlson risk. Everything could be okay, but I... And it, it, it very well might be, but I don't like what I'm seeing early on. Okay, yeah, and only five games. So yeah, we'll all obviously uh, be concerned, but also preach caution before doing anything wild maybe you tweeted us at Kevin Carlson let us know what you're thinking and then we can send out those trade offers and yeah if you get back a superstar player get your Steven Stamkos or something I'll take that uh, anyways while we're at it uh, these lines without Backstrom have been looking pretty weak uh, for Washington they've been rolling with like Shiri Oshi and rookie Connor McMichael and then Eller Mantha and Sprong though I do see that in today's practice lines Mantha and Oshi were together with Connor McMichael which could be a fun line I guess depending on how good and ready Connor McMichael Michael is but yeah uh Oshi has also not been that great this year right like he's on that top power play but even strength he's not doing much he's now pointless in four games Oshi like John Carlson is someone obviously at a different level but Oshi's someone that's been so reliable year in year out since he's gotten to Washington and now you have to wonder if maybe TJ Oshi is finally going to take that step back because he's not 31 like Carlson he's a bit older than that so maybe this is the year or maybe it's just the kind of thing where once Nicholas Backstrom is back that'll help because Oshi's used to having this really good center and now he doesn't have it anyways are you concerned about Oshi or is this the kind of thing where just like you know slow start it happens I'm a little concerned about Oshi I think he's been left out in the cold with the absence of having a a top six centerman to play with but I'm also not too concerned with him because you look at his his variance and that's why he's not doing well his team is shooting just three and a half percent success rate at five on five while he's on the ice and uh, that is translated seeing less than one goal per 60 minutes compared to his usual three or more goals per 60 minutes. Um, And when you see that big gap between goals for this year and goals for last year per 60 minutes, you look at expected goals to see, well, should should he have been getting more? And uh, that number is pretty healthy for TJ Oshie. His on-ice expected goals for rates seem okay. So I wouldn't give up on Oshie completely at 5-on-5, but I might consider him more a 55-ish point pace player until Oshie does get a top six centerman back to play with. We can't pretend that it doesn't hurt him to be downgraded from Kuznetsov or Backstrom to Connor McMichael, who, yeah, looks, uh, looks fine as a rookie, but is not Kuznetsov or Backstrom. Yeah, at least not yet. That's for sure. Okay, so I want to go do a transition here. And this may be a reach, but okay, there is a guy on Washington named Nick Dowd, who scored a goal for them this week. And he's actually a former Vancouver Canuck for like half a season. So let's go to Vancouver to discuss this fully formed team finally with Brock Besser back. We had a scare, Brian, with a line three JT Miller in practice. And you said that we're not allowed to talk about JT Miller potentially being on line three until we see it happen in the game. I believe it did happen in the game. It doesn't matter because... At least now, it seems like the projected lines moving forward are back with JT Miller on the top line, playing with Pedersen and Besser. Though, then you look at Saturday's game, and actually, Elias Pedersen was swapped off that line in the third period for Justin Dowling. And actually, I guess it worked, because the Canucks came back for a 4-2 win in that game, and Dowling even scored a goal at the end, assisted by Miller and Besser. So, uh, like, I definitely don't want to like say that, wow, watch out for Elias Pedersen now being in the bottom six and Justin Dowling taking over 
over as the top line center on Vancouver. But still, like, I mean, we're kind of in a familiar position right now as Leas Pedersen has once again started the season slow, just like last year. Only one assist and six shots in his past four games. And now this weird line shakeup thing, like I said, like, I don't think it's going to stick, but still worth noting for sure. So, Brian, would you be nervous? I'm starting to realize that I'm asking you a lot of, like, would you be nervous about this guy? I guess this is more of a cold streaks episode than maybe I realized when I was planning it. But I guess that's the kind of thing you want to ask yourself about and make sure that you're not holding on to people who are not going to be what you expected them to be. And Elias Patterson, people were expecting big things from him. So yeah, would you be nervous at all with him on your team with this slow start and this weird thing that happened in the third period in the last game? Or is this, again, like a classic case where you can potentially get a star player for cheap if someone else has Patterson and they're nervous because you're 100% positive he's going to be fine? Yeah, I think this is such a great time to catch a panicking Elias Patterson manager. Now, before I go any further, I need to tell you the truth, which is that Pedersen hasn't looked good. He really hasn't. Uh, Like a lot of numbers under the hood for him. He's not generating chances or shots the way he's used to. Yes, there's poor variance. His shooting percentage isn't as high. But there's there's more cause for concern than just bad variance. But here's the thing with Elias Pedersen, like for players of a different ilk, I'd be hemming and hawing and saying maybe this is the sign of bad things to come, as I have about some other players on this episode. You know, there's lots of drops in the numbers that Pedersen controls, even if you excuse that poor variance that accompanies them. Uh, Like, compare the situation to Suzuki earlier, who's also having a really disappointing start with some slightly concerning underlying numbers. With Suzuki, I was like, yeah, you kind of just have to wait it out and hope it goes well with Pedersen. I'm saying you don't have to hope. He's going to be fine. Go get Pedersen if you can. He's different. He's amazing. And he's one of those guys in whom I have complete and total faith that is going to find a way to do what he does. And so that's why, uh, like, like, call it a hunch. I, there's nothing really, you know, compared to all the other red flags I've been bringing up about these other cold streaks you've been raising, uh, there's nothing other than what I feel about Elias Pettersson to tell me that of all of them, he's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about him. You know, if I had Vladimir Tarasenko going off and saw Pettersson struggling, I might try and send that Pettersson uh, manager an offer. I'd go Tarasenko for Pettersson. Yeah, me too. I'll take Pedersen. Yeah, don't forget, this also happened last year, right? For some reason, he started really slow. Then he started really heating up before, unfortunately, getting injured and missing the end of the season. But yeah, I also, I agree with you. I would have to see, like, a really long stretch, like 40 plus games of Pedersen really struggling before I'd be like, oh, maybe he's not as good because yeah, he's built up such a great reputation with us over the past couple of years. Uh, on the flip side, Brian, I'm starting to get a little nervous about having flipped Connor Garland for Martin Natchez in the Cupful. That was kind of a weird trade that I did. And so far, uh, I, it's not looking good because Connor Garland has been amazing, right? Like I was a little bit concerned about his low shot on goal rates, but somehow he's still pointing in every single game of the season, including multi-point games in his last two to bring him to three goals and five assists in six games on the season eight points in six games and this is basically all even strength production aside from power play assists in the opening game of the season so brian is is connor garland really this good like how bad did i blow it with this trade i don't think you blew it like martin niches we feel like we knew his ceiling since he was great last year but uh, like isn't slated so far to see any increase in deployment so i get what you were going for with niches and i don't think it's anything to be upset about and garland is more of a wild card we didn't know his upside or his downside coming into the air. And so when we see him go off the way he is, we wonder, is this the real Connor Garland? And sometimes we need to wait for more of an answer. It's like, yeah, like it could be, it might be. 
I'm not waiting about Connor Garland to say that I think the answer is no, this is not the real Connor Garland. Here's a number to describe that. 120%. That is Connor Garland's five-on-five points participation raised, which means that Connor Garland has been on the ice for five goals at five-on-five, and he's pointed on six. Like, this is always fun when this happens early season. Uh, That means he touched the puck, left the ice, and then a goal was scored Uh, that he was able to pick up the primary secondary assist on, even though he wasn't physically present on the ice when the goal was scored. Uh, So that's one reason, you know, that I, his points participation rate shouldn't be 120%, shouldn't be 100%. It's probably closer to maybe 60% is where we should expect it to be. So he's seen some extra points come that way. Garland has also scored three goals on 10 shots in all situations, which actually brings me to my next reason why I'm not like buying in on Garland. I, I, I think all of his production is masking this thing about Garland that's been really disappointing because in the past we've seen Garland put up some really fantastic shot numbers. Uh, and we've mentioned this earlier about Garland, but he's averaging fewer than two shots per game this season, which is really icky for someone who approached the three shots per game mark at the height of his value last year. So Elon, you're asking me if you should regret trading Garland for Nietzsche? Your only regret should maybe be that you couldn't wait longer to sell Garland so that he could be peaking even higher when you got rid of him. But I think selling Garland high is also a really wonderful move that you can try and pull off because I am not seeing a lot of this as being real. I still think he's probably a 55, maybe 60 point player. The upside is there for him to be 65. But at this point, with the way he's shooting, which is barely at all, I I see that as less likely. Right. And like you're saying, even if he's still on the ice for the same number of goals, there's no way he's going to be getting points on every single one of them. Hey, if you've got Garland, uh, shoot an offer to the Pedersen manager. Who knows? Maybe you can pull something off. That would be magic. Uh, okay. So, of course, Garland was previously on the Coyotes, who have just been so bad. Just terrible to start the season. Even worse than Buffalo, which I don't know. I guess it was a race to the bottom. But Buffalo's had some good games. N- nothing for Arizona. And the player who's been hit the hardest so far in terms of fantasy has got to be Jacob Chikrin, who put up a big old goose egg to start this year so far. No points in five games. He does have eight. 18 shots. It's 3.6 shots per game, even more than the number of shots per game he was taking last year, but nothing got by Sorokin yesterday or any goalie so far. So Brian, is this a Pedersen-like situation where we've got a potential steal on our hands if you want to go after a star player having a slow start? Or is there a chance that just Chicken will continue to be a bust this season, especially now that we've been seeing this power play two deployment behind Goss's Behar? That's been super weird. I don't know how long that's going to last, but while it does, that that's weird. And he's taking all these shots, but maybe nothing will go in. Like, I don't know the quality of these shots, but definitely concerning that he has no points in five games. You should definitely be sweating this if you have Jacob Shikrin. We've already discussed this, though. Uh, Shikrin is only like a Pedersen-type steal if he gets back on the top unit. And if not, you're not stealing him because you're probably just getting a 40-point guy who, who shoots a lot. He could still have more goals than any defenseman would get if that's valuable to you in your format. But the reasons to love Shikrin that we saw last year we already called them unsustainable going into this season, and they take another hit if Shikrin really is off that top unit. And Gus Spare seems to be doing okay there for now. Uh, by the way, mentioned on the stream scheme this week, uh, to hear the rest of Dave Benton's Amazing Scrooge streamers, uh, you should go uh, into your favorite podcast app and search for a stream scheme to figure out how to best manage your schedule. Dave had Kairu last week uh, when I don't think everyone was talking about him yet. So find out who else Dave is mentioning. But yeah, going back to Shikrin, 
I uh, I wouldn't be happy to have drafted him right now, not being on the top power play. All these shots are, are cold comfort because he's not going to be able to put up the number of points that he would have been uh, had he been able to hold on to his top power play job, which maybe there's a, a route back to him getting. But at this point, I am, uh, yeah, you should be sweating. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it would be a really interesting decision if you had to decide between Chikrin and like Tyson Berry That's, right now. Yeah, in a couple. Who would you prefer? I think I'd prefer Chikrin just because I'm a nervous guy. And like Chikrin gives you that floor, right? He's, with all these shots, he's still giving like 2.5-ish couple points per game. And once those pucks start going in the net, if just one of them goes in a week, you're looking pretty good. But of course, Barry maybe has that more upside since he's on a top power play, at least for now. And it's a power play that's actually, actually scoring goals. So yeah, that would be an interesting one. Uh, I have a feeling you would go with Barry over Chikrin in the couple, right? I know for sure that Joel here in the chat would go with Barry. Chikrin, you're at least getting the shot. But Barry has the upside. I think I, w- I still believe enough in Barry to go to go Barry here. Hmm. Yeah, Chikrin also just has also not only the shots but like the ice, t- the guaranteed deployment though, not the top power play though. That's what's fo- so That's frustrating. That's it. Yeah. All right. So continuing with busts, uh, Chikrin's teammate uh, Nick Schmaltz has also done nothing, and he used to be on Chicago with Jonathan Taves, who was also still pointless on the season in five games. And actually, I wrote that before today's game, where Chicago lost six three to Detroit. Brian, did uh, Jonathan Taves do anything today? Yeah, he got two points. Oh, all right. So forget it. I guess Jonathan Taves is fine. Yeah, I was just going to ask you another typical question of, like, is Taves someone to be worried about? I feel like probably he's still a little bit someone to be worried about because Chicago has just been terrible. They just lost 6-3 to Detroit. Nice to see him getting on the board. So he assisted on a Tyler Johnson goal. And I see he got a power play assist on a Dominique Kubalik power play goal along with Seth Jones. So, okay, good to see. I guess we weren't going to expect Jonathan Taves to be pointless all season long, but also we were kind of hoping for like a 60-ish point guy, maybe even a potential 70-point guy like he was before he missed that season. So, Brian, you have Taves in couple, right, I believe? So, yeah, are you uh, nervous about him? Is he someone you're considering dropping at some point, or is he like a hold still for a while? I have Taves in a couple leagues. I am holding on for now. I got offered Chandler Stevenson for him in one league. I I turned it down because I I think Taves is uh, still, like the upside is still there for him. And like I said about Montreal, Chicago is having these team-wide issues and it looks real serious in Chicago. And I'm worried absolutely that something deep down is wrong with that team on the ice as well as off. Uh, Maybe it's going to be harder for Chicago to overcome whatever they're facing than than we'd have imagined. Of course, that'll impact Jonathan Taves. But I've got to see what they look like when they write the ship and I'm willing to give them another week to do that but honestly after tonight's effort uh, I'm actually like just browsing Twitter while we record like someone posted uh, this Liam McHugh uh, posted some screenshots that make it look like uh, Jeremy Calderton called a timeout and handed the dry erase board to the players and they drew up a play during the timeout and then gave it back to him and that was the timeout that sounds like something that would happen on Ted Lasso. Like, Ted Lasso would just be like, all right, guys, why don't you just roll up a play for us? I want you to believe in yourself. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's something that would happen. Yeah, in that well, show. that was down 6-3 with, like, eight minutes left in the third. So I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I wonder what will come next. It, things seem, like, very, very messy in Chicago right now. And that's not, that doesn't bode well for Taves. Of course, Kane um, is, like, going through COVID protocol, too, right now. So uh, that'll impact how Taves does is how soon Kane can come back. Yeah. All right, fellas, we're down 6-3. No idea is a bad idea, okay? Like, let me hear your creative ideas. Maybe we can get something going. Like, I feel in like Ted Lasso, they'd come back and win that game after some inspirational things. And may- or maybe that, like, assistant coach guy ends up coming up with a really good play. 
Uh, but yeah, it didn't happen for the, the Hawks today. So unfortunately, and Brian, I think you were right because like Chandler Stevenson is without Stone and Pacioretty. So he has like no value. I don't even know if I would add him out of free agency. I'd at least consider adding Taves out of free agency. So yeah, he's better than uh, Stevenson. Uh, at one point, it looked like Kevin Lankinen was going to be getting the start. And then like in the end, it turned out that Flurry played. I wonder if Carlton regrets that or maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But yeah, Flurry, man, what a rough start to the season. I'm so glad to have dodged that bullet and not have gotten him in any of my leagues. And I feel so sorry for anyone who drafted him. Uh, I don't even want to ask. Like, oh, how do you even answer it? But Brian, if like if you had Flurry and Kakuffle, you've got to be considering just like dropping him, stringing him out for another goalie. Like, this is going to be a rough season, and he might even lose starts to Lankinen. So I can't really see a reason to hold. This might be one of the worst picks of the draft at this point in most fantasy leagues. Yeah, I would be super concerned if if I'm holding Andre Mark Andre Fleury, which I'm not, and that's not a brag. Like, I'm I'm sorry to anybody who did uh, take that chance. He was an eight forty going into tonight's game with a 5.63 goals against average. Those numbers, I think, somehow got worse tonight. So, oh, I I do. Like, you know, like I've said, like, you know, hold the fort on Laner and on Hellebuck. Don't on Fleury. I, I would just let go because the Chicago team is a, is a far way from being in a good spot. And so is Marc-Andre Fleury, who, like, I, I respect – and I trust that he might be able to salvage some of this season. But holy cow, uh, this is not looking good. And I wouldn't want him on my roster while everyone is figuring everything out. Yeah, it's not like Jonathan Taves, where if you leave him on your roster and he's not doing anything, at least he's not hurting you. Like, Flurry is actively hurting you right now. I'm not going to let this guy hurt me when I could drop him for someone who might potentially not only not hurt me, but actually help me. So, yeah, tough for him. Uh, Seth Jones is actually doing pretty well. He had a power play assist today. He's got four points in six games right now. So I'm sure he's not happy about how the season's going, but he's doing well offensively, at least. And, of course, Jones was previously on Columbus, who I wanted to bring up because we've got to talk, Brian, about Boone Jenner. What a start to the season for Boone Jenner. Four goals in five games. And, of course, his shooting percentage is unsustainable. I know you're going to say that, so I'll just like say that for you. But hard to argue with this deployment right now, right? He's been on the top line and top power play with Line and Voracek, though, of course, that could change. They just lost 5-1 to the Canes on Saturday. But hey, that one goal was scored by Boone Jenner on that top line. So, Brian, you've always scoffed at me, and for good reason, when I've been into Boone Jenner. Like, there was once a time, a long time ago, in 2015-16, where he had a 30-goal season, and I thought maybe he could do it again. You said no way. You were right. But here we are now, four goals in five games he's still only 28 years old he's it's not like as if he's like an old veteran who's having one last you know gasp like he's getting this deployment that he's never had before i'm not saying he's potentially going to be a superstar all of a sudden but do you think boone jenner is worth rostering he's still in free agency in most of the leagues i'm in and uh, he's looking pretty good and plus he's also good for hits so like he's not only just a points guy even if he doesn't get you a point he can still help you a little bit in peripherals for sure and that's the reason to be into boone jenner by the way do you know how how old would you guess boone jenner is I said, I said he's 28. Okay. I should have listened more closely because like I was surprised that to find out Boone Jenner was only 28. It feels like we've been talking about him for ages and he's always had this like older veteran lunch pail kind of vibe around him. I like, you said I might crack on his shooting percentage. I like that Boone Jenner has three power play goals. You know, I'm not as concerned about a player's shooting percentage if a lot of it is because of power play shooting because we expect to see that uh, come at a higher rate uh, of success than shooting at five on five. So I'm actually not so down on it. Like, yeah, maybe he, he shouldn't have all three goals, but good for Boone Jenner for scoring three power play goals. And in the past, when I've scoffed and as you said, rightfully so, I don't recall he's ever been both top line and top power play, which is why I'm not going to scoff this time. Jenner, uh, 
looks like he's in a good place to succeed. The only place I'm going to pump the brakes here is remind everyone he has a career-high 49-point pace, so keep your expectations reasonable. You might say, well, he's never been in this position before. He could break out. I think there's just a reason he's never been in this position before. I could see Jenner having a Nick Foligno-like season, like the seasons that Foligno had in Columbus when he was on the top power play unit two, where he'd go on these little runs and be worth streaming in, and then he'd go very, very silent, and you should just let him go unless his peripherals were helping you. I'd give the same advice on Boone Jenner. By the way, isn't it crazy? Uh, I don't know, Elon, would you have predicted that the most valuable Columbus centerman going like at this point of the season would be Boone Jenner. Like you could have put money on Rostovic or uh, Texier, even Cole Sillinger, but none of them are doing anything. It's like embarrassed and Texier is barely even playing. Yeah, well, and Domi came back and was looking good, but then he's injured again. I mean, I think we had this discussion on the show where I brought up like five centermen that could end up being the one worth rostering. And so far, like you say, it's Boone Jenner, and I agree with you. He's definitely not like a season-long hold guaranteed. Like Brad Larson could change up the lines in the next game. But for now, I don't think he should be a free agent in a lot of leagues. I mean, next week, I think he plays like Tuesday and then not again until Friday, Sunday. So maybe you wait and get him for those Friday, Sunday games as opposed to holding him for only one game early in the week. But definitely have someone, at least someone to have on your radar, on your watch list, all that stuff. Okay, so that takes us to our final stop because Boone Jenner is playing, obviously, with Patrick Laine, and Laine came from the Winnipeg Jets, and we need to talk about the Jets. Of course, they've got these COVID protocol issues right now with Wheeler and Shifu, so let's not dig into that. Hopefully, they'll just be back and fine soon. But I want to talk to you, Brian, about Nikolai Ehler is another one of these struggling players that we weren't expecting going into the year. He finally got off the schneid on Saturday, picking up a power play assist for his first point of the season. But of course, uh, that power play assist came in a situation that he's not normally in. Normally, he's not on the top power play. He just happened to be there, assisting on a Kyle Connor power play goal because, like I said, Shifley and Wheeler weren't in the lineups. You could even say that point isn't something that we would normally expect for him. Basically, he's pointless on the year then outside of that power play assist. And this is a guy who was almost a point per game last year, a huge breakout. What is going on with Nikolai Ehlers? I got to, this has got to be another Pedersen situation, right? Like, or, or like, are you seeing issues under the hood? Uh, or is he just, like, I see he's still shooting. So we need to like say something to calm down the Nikolai Ehlers managers. I tried to make a trade offer for him in one league and I got rejected. So obviously the people who I'm playing with are smart, but uh, he's someone that I feel like would be a great get right now. I'm very surprised that he's had so little success offensively. Same. And Ehlers is like Pedersen in that he's someone I have a lot of faith in and have a lot of trust in just like everything being fine. But he's unlike Pedersen in that his numbers underlying the the obvious ones that we see most clearly like the points they're still actually really good in fact they're even like really good uh, compared to his numbers from the last couple seasons small sample so i expect them to regress but we're seeing him on the right side of his numbers rather than the wrong side of his past numbers so far for Ehlers, i think it's just been bad luck he's been on the ice for only three goals at five on five he hasn't pointed on any of them he himself uh, has not scored a goal at five on five no goals on 15 shots meanwhile he is shooting a lot as you mentioned elon Ehlers' shot rates are up he has been playing with stasny lately instead of pierre-luc dubois i wonder if Mark Shifley being in and out of the lineup impacted things at all and the flow and feel whatever. But I think Ehlers, like you were right to try and buy low on him. He's a great buy low candidate. I only see good stuff. He's got these Svechnikov, Tarasenko-like spikes in his shot and shot attempt and expected goals rates, which is why I think you should go out and grab him if you can. In fact, I would also try and deal Tarasenko for Ehlers. 
Oh, yeah, that was a question here in the chat by Ancient K100. So, yeah, I agree with you. I really like Nikolai Ehlers, and I would be really shocked if he doesn't put up a pile of points in the next week or two. All right, so, Brian, that's everything I planned for the show this morning. But then uh, some new news came out. So I'll just really quickly do a lightning round of some other stuff that came to my mind during the day today. So, uh, first of all, Eklund was benched by the Sharks today. And so that's something to keep in mind, that maybe that could happen. Uh, the coach was just basically saying, like, okay, he's, he's played a lot of games. Maybe it'll be useful for him to see a game. He's only a rookie. He's very young, so I'm not going to read too much into it. He's had a decent start to the season, but his ice time had been decreasing, and now he got benched for a game. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe this will cause actually some fancy managers to drop him, and it might be a good opportunity to pick him up, especially in like a keeper league where you're keeping like seven, eight, nine people, you know, to the point where like you might even potentially keep him. We'll have to see how the rest of the season goes, but he's obviously a very high upside guy, but also super young. I also wanted to throw out a couple uh, hot streaks for you, Brian. I'll just throw these all out to you, then you can respond to what you want. Uh, Here's three hot streaks that are on my mind for next week. Uh, Lundell on Florida, Anton Lundell. You know, we were talking about how Sam Reinhardt went down to that third line, and that might be a concern for him, but maybe not. Maybe that was actually like fine for Reinhardt and also good for Lundell, who all of a sudden got this amazing line mate. And Lundell has been amazing so far. He's now up to five points in his last three games. I think that's since Reinhardt came on his line. Florida plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday next week. So if you need a streamer and it's a deepish league, maybe consider Anton Lundell. So that's one name for you. Then you've got Ryan Getzlaff. You know, we've been talking all about Shattenkirk, I guess, on short shifts. Ben and Lewis talked about Shattenkirk and the great start he's had. Uh, Ryan Getzloff is also looking really good over on Anaheim. This is a guy who we thought was maybe done having relevance in fantasy, but a really strong week last week capped off with a two-assist game against Minnesota, including three shots and four blocks. Always nice to get blocks from a forward. And Anaheim, again, another good schedule next week, so I definitely don't think Getzloff's a good long-term hold, but for four games next week, look at him. And then finally, over on Colorado, we have to mention JT Comfer, who is getting that good deployment in terms of a top power play spot with the Avs, which we thought, you know, would go to like Kadri or maybe Burakovsky, but no, it's been Comfer and Comfer has been uh, producing. He has four points in five games. I guess no points in either of his last two games, but still you can't ignore the top power play. It's just another guy that's on my radar. And uh, yeah, that's all I had for you, Brian. Lundell, Comfer, Getzlaff. What do you think? Fun group and everyone we should be keeping an eye on. Absolutely. I think, you know, with Anaheim, you mentioned their four game schedule. And I think that's really great to point out. There's not a lot of teams this week that play four games. Uh, You've got Florida, you've got Anaheim, you've got Arizona, Calgary, Carolina, LA, Montreal, and that's it. It's three game weeks for everyone else. Well, almost everyone else. The others have one and then Ottawa, Nashville, and Edmonton only play two. So McDavid owners... Plan accordingly. Like you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna make up for him not playing a whole lot. So one way you could do that is by looking at these Anaheim players. So good one, Elon. And then you mentioned JT Comfort on Colorado. Uh, yeah, I like a guy playing on the top unit. That like as long as Andre Burakovsky is banished, uh, that could be really good news for Comfort. We've seen him in uh, in years past in Colorado get these sort of opportunities. It was always him or Alex Kerfoot who got to step up when there was an injury in the top six or, or to, to come or actually just on that top line to come in and fill in. So this is a nice opportunity for comfort that he hasn't seen too many of lately. And by the way, Nazem Kadri started the year strong with four points in his first two games. He's been quiet, but he has 10 shots still. So Honestly, I like JT Comfort even just playing with Nazem Kadri at five on five too. So uh, great streaming suggestions, Elon. And again, if you want more streaming suggestions, Stream Scheme, check it out. 
Yeah, for sure. Stream scheme. And then also we're going to have a couple more shows coming at you this week. As per usual, we'll get two more short shifts to bring up more players. But hopefully this was enough players. Maybe you might have to go back and or maybe you took some notes as you went. Because I think, Brian, we've covered like 50 players or more on this show. This has been a blast. The time has flown by. Thanks so much to everyone who's listening to the show. I hope you're liking this new season of Keeping Carlson. If you are, or if you're not, tweet at us. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. At Keeping Carlson on Twitter. If you are enjoying the show, we'd of course appreciate that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice comment that really helps out the show and doesn't really cost you anything you're already on the internet why not just go and give us a nice review on apple Podcasts? if you want to support the show in a financial way we have a patron program going on on patreon where we ask for only five dollars a month and we give you our hearts in exchange you get to join our discord server where brian and i are active all the time along with all the other brilliant patrons helping each other out plus there's all these like bots and tools that just make it a really fun experience you kind of have to see it to believe it but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on obviously kevin and jerry Jeremy and others have really helped to build this amazing thing, which is our Keeping Carlson Discord server. And that's not it. We also give our patrons these monthly patron casts, which we just did one last week and you can go listen to. I'm sure a lot of that stuff. Actually, it was a fun chat, Brian. A lot of like sort of more existential questions as opposed to just questions about specific players, just about like strategies and general ways of thinking about fantasy hockey. So that was a really fun chat that we had on our patron cast. We share our show notes every week. Brian and I wrote a book for this episode and it might be nice for people who don't have time to listen to the whole show to quickly like just like control F for you know petrie and see what the quick takeaways were on him before you actually get a chance to listen to the show so that and many more perks are waiting for you if you become a patron of keeping carlson so you can check that out over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that brian i think we're good to call it a night for another episode of keeping carlson so why don't we cue that outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabber hockey and powered by our patrons including our superest supporters Christopher, Josh, Tom, Kevin, Derek, David, Rob, Patty, and our newest one, Andrea. Thank you so much for uh, all of your support. Also, thanks to Kevin A. Bear and Jeremy Versillo for helping moderate our amazing patron community and Discord server. Thanks to Julian Paquette for putting together the tweet clips that we tweet out. Uh, and thanks to Shams for helping us run our game day Twitter accounts, game day lines, game day goalies, and game day news NHL. And thank you to all our Kakupful co-commish team. Logo art by BrendanWeave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. NBC Sports Edge, can you please make an app? It's kind of annoying. I have to like go on my browser on my phone to like go. It doesn't seem like it would be too hard. There used to be a Roto World app. Why can't NBC Sports Edge make it? Isn't it the same company? I don't know. I would appreciate that. So that's a little request over there. Uh, We'll give you free advertising if you uh, make that app. How about that? But okay. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Short Shifts this week with Ben and Lewis. And then I'll talk to you, Brian, next Sunday for another mega show. Until then, please keep doing what you're doing to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. 